This week on Geeksplained, something a little different. Returning special guest Owen of the Owen Likes Comics YouTube channel joins me to review New Japan Pro Wrestling's Wrestle Kingdom 17. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is something a little different for the podcast. It's not a usual episode. A returning special guest, Owen, of the Owen Likes Comics YouTube channel is joining me to review a wrestling pay-per-view. That's right. Normally, this podcast is a lot of comic book talk with some pro wrestling wedged in there. This week, we're going to do- be doing the inverse, where it's going to be all pro wrestling talk with a little bit of comic book top as well well uh we're gonna be reviewing wrestle kingdom 17 by new japan pro wrestling uh as you are listening to this this event happened last week and uh, i sat down with owen and we reviewed the entire show it was a lot of fun uh anytime i get to have owen on the podcast is always a good time it's becoming almost an annual tradition uh to have owen on in january uh oenuary we can say this month is so um we have a lot of fun talking about this, speculating on different directions for characters, and if you haven't yet, if this is your first episode perhaps, or if you're not used to me gushing so much about pro wrestling, uh, last year, I mean, I've talked about pro wrestling a lot on this podcast, but our first really big pro wrestling episode, I think, would be the Antonio Inoki and Death of Superman episode that I released back in, I believe it was November. Uh, I love that episode, and in that episode, I kind of make the case on why pro wrestling and comic books are more or less the same thing, so I would love it if you gave that a listen, and if you enjoy that, and if you enjoy that comic, that kind of comic book pro wrestling talk, I think you're going to dig what we've got here for we also have, of course, this week's Comics Countdown, where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week, uh, whether it's at your local comic book shop, Comixology, or however you pick up comics, so make sure you stay tuned after the jump for that. But without further ado, let's dive right into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, as I and Owen review New Japan Pro Wrestling's Wrestle Kingdom 17. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your main event of the evening. In the red corner, standing at a staggering 5 foot 5 inches tall and hailing from Los Angeles, California, representing the Geeksplain podcast, it's Erica Zana and his opponent in the blue corner, hailing from across the pond, Representing the Owen Likes Comics YouTube channel, it's Owen! Ladies and gentlemen, we are reviewing Wrestle Kingdom 17, and I'm joined, of course, by Owen of the Owen Likes Comics YouTube channel. Owen, welcome back, man. Hello, thank you for having me. 
Um, normally when we do these podcasts, we talk about comics and I have to shoehorn as many wrestling references in as possible. <laughs> um, so what I'm going to do today is we're going to actually be discussing a professional wrestling pay-per-view and I'm going to try and make as many analogies and references to uh, comic books as possible. I hope that's okay. I think it's allowed. It's allowed just for this time. We'll, we'll it's mostly only... just. It's mostly just going to be. A, it's mostly just going to be an exercise for me to plug comics I've made videos on while also discussing uh, Japanese professional wrestling. So it should be a fun time. Well, and I think it's worked out that the uh, the most of the videos that you make comics on uh, are always good comics. So there are some that are. Uh, sometimes I make videos <laughs> on bad comics. Y'all remember Ultimatum? Great time for everyone involved. Hey, I've made, I've made a lot of money from talking about Ultimatum. Great video. It worth it. Great video. Yeah, but uh, I also I also mention it in like every fourth video I made. Yeah. It got a it got a shout out in the Ultimate Spider Man video that came out yesterday. Yep. Yep. As we're recording just, this, it's... Owen just dropped an Ultimate Spider Man uh, video. If you've been following along with the Geek Explain Book Club, you know we've been covering that whole saga. Uh, go, yes. go over there. Go over there and watch Owen's video. It is incredible. Absolutely loved it. Yes, uh, Mal Malcolm was very apologetic for not inviting me onto the book club. <laughs> so I I'm glad someone addressed the elephant in the room. I mean, I don't see elephants. I, uh, I, 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 I prefer to let them lie where they are, but you never know. You never know. Um, but yeah, man, we are, we are here to talk about, uh, Wrestle Kingdom 17. Uh, you will notice that we are missing the third member of the, uh, Blackpool comic club. Uh, Matt Draper was supposed to yeah, be on this podcast. Unfortunately, unfortunately he's gone back to WWE. Um, I was I was gonna say he's well before he goes back to WWE he's serving a suspension for getting in a fight with uh, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks uh, after oh, last week's I, episode. Okay, yeah, I yeah. heard he bit a guy. He did. He did. Famously, he bit a guy. Uh, he's been released, unfortunately, so he's on his way back to WWE, uh, so he can reunite with his longtime manager Vince McMahon. And uh, they are, they are truly two peas in a pod. They Drake. really <laughs> are a match made in hell in a cell, is what that is. Um, but yeah, we are we are talking about New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, for those of you who normally come to this uh, this little podcast here for comic books, this is going to be a wide, just left turn for you. But I think you've noticed. If you've listened to the podcast for any length of time, that I enjoy professional wrestling, and I alongside no oh I know it's a revelation. We're almost we're going to be celebrating our five year anniversary in March, and uh, I've never mentioned once how much I like pro wrestling on this podcast. So I figured now was the time to do it. Soft launch it, yeah. Soft launch, soft launch before uh, our five year anniversary turns this into just a pro wrestling podcast. Um, it's gonna be great. Yes. It's gonna be great, and I can't. I don't foresee anyone having a problem with it, and it causing, not causing a single bit of controversy whatsoever. But yeah, so uh, we're talking wrestling. I'm very excited to talk this with you because we have dabbled here and there, talking about comics, and also shoehorning in as much wrestling as possible. So I want to ask before we get into this, uh, Owen, how did you get into pro wrestling? I'm very curious. That is a very good question. Um, I feel like at the moment, 
any kind of content I'm making is very self-reflective and introspective. Um, so that you've asked, you picked a very good time to ask this question, given I'm uh, spilling the contents of my childhood out onto the internet apparently now. And doing a great job. Um, thank you. Uh, if I can't, if we look, if there's if there's one thing I can do with my childhood trauma, it's monetize it. I might kind of cushion the pain a little bit. Um, yeah. So it's funny because like normally when these conversations happen and like when I talked about it in relation to the ultimate Spider-Man video, there is like a clear nexus point of like, this was what hooked me into, into wrestling, into comics or whatever. But when it comes to like me being a fan of, of wrestling, I'm not, I'm not really sure when, when or where or why it happened. I think, um, I think like my first exposure to wrestling was actually through a lot of the old games, like SmackDown, mm. Here Comes the Pain, yeah. uh, the original SmackDown versus Raw. I think I played those games on like the PS2 before I ever like, like sat down and watched a show. That makes sense. Yeah. Obviously, like there's some wrestlers that like, even at like at the age of like five or six, you know who they are, Everybody especially knows, at that time, yeah. like. Stone Cold, The Rock, The Undertaker, et cetera, et cetera. So I had like some cultural cachet and then I played those games. Those games are great. They're so much fun. And that kind of just like got me hooked. And then that led to me checking out the show, um, checking out Raw, checking out SmackDown, uh, TNA. Uh, so like mid, all through like the mid 2000s, they, that was my bag. The golden um, era of TNA. Who was my, who was my first, my favorite wrestlers? Um, in this period from like, let's say like 2006 yeah, onwards is when I like properly started watching. Uh, my favorite wrestlers were Chris Jericho, mm -hmm. especially when he came back in 07. Absolutely. Um, big, big, big into Chris Jericho. Is any child and kind of like adolescent at that time, Jeff, big Jeff Hardy guy? Yep, absolutely. 100%. You know, Jeff Hardy winning the winning the title at Armageddon oh, was like never forget. my childhood like crystallized coming in and then... with the swanton from off screen oh hype. Mm. and it's funny because like especially in the uk as well so raw and smackdown uh aired on a channel called sky sports mm. which is like behind a paywall it's like a subscription channel whereas tna aired on like free tv ah okay. so like anyone like you didn't need a subscription or you didn't need like a package to watch it so i actually like in like the mid to late 2000s, watched a lot more TNA than I did WWE. They used to wear like, uh, on like a Saturday morning, they used to air like a week, like a one hour show uh -huh. that like wrapped up all the highlights from like Raw and SmackDown and ECW and, oh, interesting. and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that was like how I got most of my WWE fix. And then I would watch Impact when it aired on like free terrestrial TV. Yeah. Um, and so like, as, as like, look, I'm an impressionable child. I turn TNA on. <laughs> Once I get my head around why the ring shaped like that, I see AJ Styles <laughs> flipping all over the place. Yeah. And I'm like, that's my guy. Yeah. I watch him and uh, I watch him, Joe and Daniels have that three way. And I'm like, Oof. yeah, that's AJ is, AJ is my guy. And he still is one of my favorite all-time wrestlers. We love AJ. Same here. It's a shame. It's a shame he thinks the earth is flat. Yeah. What a, what a poor, uh, what a poor worldview that happens to be. But hey, look, you don't need he's not to... he's not the wrestler with the worst worldview. Glenn Jacobs still tweets. Yep. And I still mock him every time. <laughs> it's it's always a treat when I when I see a dumb tweet from Glenn Jacobs because I know oh Owen's gonna have something to say about this. And it it's like, never look, fails. Look, we give 
Vince McMahon gets a lot of shit at the moment, and like rightfully so. Some right of the things so. that have come out about him is is pretty abhorrent and gross. Um, but the fact that he like didn't let Glenn Jacobs talk on TV for years, like <laughs> he was ahead of the game. He truly was. He knew what he was doing. But yeah, I and I and I'm glad you brought up AJ Styles because I think that's a perfect segue into it. Because I was that's a good point, yeah. Because uh, because AJ was not to cut you off there, but AJ was also then my gateway into discovering New Japan. Yeah, same here. Like I was because yeah. I also was in in the late 2000s. Like I was trying to get my my wrestling fix all over the place. And when I saw mm. AJ, I was like, dude, that's my guy. He's got. He's got like the uh, the hooded vest. He's got like the pose. He's got the like. Every, he was like everyone's creator wrestler. Like everyone's creator wrestler because he could do all the moves. And when he eventually left, it was a big deal because he was a TNA lifer. Mm. He was a he was a TNA Especially original. Like... <laughs> he was a member of the TNA front line. He's a member don't, of don't the forget. front line. Uh, but yeah especially in like the context in which he leaves which is like yeah there was this whole like they tried to like work it into an angle mm. where like but there was also like real life things where like he was the guy that carried that company on its back and especially like by the early 2010s tna yep. had kind of gone to shit and sure they has. basically said to wait like they they brought hogan and bischoff in russo had kind of come and gone and come back the company was in a pretty bad way and so their response to that was to take aj a guy who kind of like for lack of a better words, wasted the best years of his career in this company. Yeah. They were like, oh, you need to, and he was the world champion at the time. They were like, uh, you need to take a 50% pay cut. And he was like, no. And he was like, no, fuck that. <laughs> I have um, a so He leaves. He's like, yeah. I have four so then, kids so that are tattooed leaves. on my ribs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then he leaves, uh, he drops the TNA title to Nick Aldis. Uh, who's never looked back since? That was really a star-making performance. It was for, uh, it was. for Magnus. There. Um, I forgot he was called Magnus. He's been Nick. My first exposure so to him. Yeah. My ironically, uh, my first exposure to to Magnus was when he was on the British remake of Gladiators. In the, oh my uh, god, that's 2000s. right. So that was oh, I forgot show. that he did that. Jeez. Uh, yes, yeah, so then AJ leaves TNA. AJ uh, shows up in New Japan not long after, and like, yeah, I thought I had like a by this by this point what was it like twenty twelve? I want to say I think so, probably around then. Yeah, I thought I had like a good understanding, like worldview of wrestling. It wasn't just like a WWE bubble. I'd watched a lot of TNA. I'd kind of started getting into Ring of Honor a bit more at that time, and like going back and looking into like, especially as like that era, like twenty ten to twenty twelve, a lot of like of the new crop of WWE guys like Danielson, Rollins, Owens. Uh, Punk, like Owens were all kind of like come from Ring of Honor. Yeah. So I was kind of like, and even like speaking about TNA, one of my favorite TNA guys was uh, Desmond Wolf. Was yes. Nigel McGuinness. Nigel McGuinness. The trilogy of matches he had with Kurt Angle in like 2010 are still like one of my favorite trilogies of, of, uh, of matches. Still one of the best. And so a lot of those guys. From oh, Kurt. absolutely. Oof. Um, so a lot of the guys that I was really getting into all came from this place called Ring of Honor. So I then went back and not only like watched current day ROH and discovered loads of really great talents there, but then went back into the archives and watched like Samoa Joe, Brian Danielson, CM Punk, Davey Richards, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, so I thought I had like a fairly good worldview of what 
wrestling was. And then AJ shows up in New Japan and like my mind is blown. I'm like, what is this? How do I watch it? Like how how I, I if AJ's there, I'm watching it. I don't yeah. know what the Bullet Club is, but I'm there. Um, and then I found out how to, and then the rest is history, really. Yeah, I was I was much the same way. I mean, and it's funny that you say that that was kind of like a gateway thing for you because it reminds me of I want to say like maybe 2017 2018 when we got the big british invasion of wwe and nxt when they were like hey the british wrestling scene is really cool let's steal everyone it's it, <laughs> yeah i was gonna say the way you remember that and the way i remember that are probably very different oh i'm sure because um, like I, I feel like american audiences kind of take that as wow all of these great british wrestlers coming over to to nxt and to wwe and they did like the uk tournament yep over here, it was like, oh, this is like what it feels like to be colonized. <laughs> like we are just having our like independence scene absolutely decimated by this like massive billion dollar company. I mean, if you think and, about like, the it, UK... it's, it's been a long time coming. Oh, absolutely. If this, <laughs> if this is how you get your get your own back for like the Revolutionary <laughs> War and all of the taxation stuff, like you played the long game, but fair. You destroy. You just. <laughs> I can't be- I can't believe that you can like plot a course from like George Washington all the way to like the destruction of progress and Rev Pro. Yeah. Yeah. Well it and it's funny um, but too. yeah, over here it was very much like because especially like 2017, like I don't think you can quite comprehend how big the boom of the Brit of Brit Res was mm-hmm. unless you were in the UK at that time. Yeah. You know, go into progress and ICW and Rev Pro and even like promotions like WCPW, I went to a few of their yep. shows and they were awesome. Um, like being a fan of like indie wrestling in Britain was such an exciting time. There's yeah. so many guys I saw in the UK that have like gone on now to become huge stars. Huge. You know, you named Tyler Bate, the entirety of British Strong Style, yep. Zack Sabre Jr., Will Ospreay, but even like um, like American and Japanese and other kind of, national guys that came over like i saw minoru suzuki wrestle in the uk yeah i saw cody i saw cody rhodes wrestle kurt angle in the uk that was a great match i watched that on uh i think it was i saw uh like i remember the first time i ever saw uh, uh, zach gibson live and just be like this is my guy (laughs) yeah i can't believe what they've done to him now but like he's awesome yeah he's sorry uh, sorry rip fowler rip fowler yeah i i was i remember being really enchanted by that first uk tournament and i was like oh these are all oh, it was fantastic cool. and it was my gateway into I... going back and like watching through progress and like i'm still working mm. my way through like the early days of it but like like you said british strong style is huge and i think that the the gateway for people is very important to discovering other stuff like you mentioned before aj was my gateway into new japan because i was all in on my boy and when he went over immediately mm. won the world the iwgp heavyweight championship and he beat okada in his first match beat okada won the championship became the leader of bullet club i was like what is this and then <laughs> i've been in love with new japan ever since it's obviously gone through its ups and downs 
during my fandom of it but i think what was cool about watching uh watching wrestle kingdom this year was i kind of got that similar feeling of like okay we are it's not just like the new japan guys that are incredibly talented and very popular but it's also they're intermingling with people that i think a lot of people are going to go back and watch this because they more know. kind of like familiar familiar western wrestlers as well exactly i think and i think if this is your first wrestle kingdom this is a strong wrestle kingdom to watch there are certain so you know, a, a question i have for you sorry eric is i what was your first wrestle kingdom i want to see if we kind of sync up in that sense i think it was 12 or 11 wow, 11 okay. was uh AJ 11 being Shinsuke, uh right? what was that 10 oh was you're gonna it, make me you're gonna make me look that up i'm gonna look it up you know. you you tell you tell me what your first wrestle kingdom was mine was the one that had aj versus nakamura god damn it you're gonna make um, me look this yeah, Obviously, was Wrestle Kingdom 10, that was the right. yes, yes, because eleven was Okada Omega. You're right. Uh, yeah, Wrestle Kingdom ten, uh, specifically because of all the buzz around not only uh, AJ and Nakamura both leaving after the match and going to WWE, but also just like the hype surrounding that match in general. Yeah. Um, and like at ever. that time, like I was becoming more familiar with New Japan, but mostly just from like watching what AJ was doing. Right. I wasn't Same. like watching the full shows. So it's like, I discovered who Okada was because he wrestled AJ Styles. Yep. And I discovered who Naito is because he wrestled AJ Styles. And then through that, seeing his match with uh, with Shinsuke and just like, blew, that like blew me away. It's still one of my favorite matches of all time. Agreed. Um, second, second only to the match at uh, WrestleMania. Oh, God. Which was just as good, if not better. <laughs> Other match at uh, Backlash 2018, which was a, a double disqualification because they both kicked, kicked, each, kicked each other, other in the crotch <laughs> at the same time. Oh, double um, KOs are rare, but when they're so perfectly timed like that, <laughs> you create magic, truly. Uh, and then, yeah, obviously, Wrestle Kingdom 11 the next year, Okada Omega. That is like the massive boom where yeah. like Western audiences like suddenly became interested in like fixated on new japan that was like the match that like made like led me to really discover who kenny omega was Same. and then through that you know the young books the elite and then you can pretty much plot a course from that all the way to today we're not yeah. only like the rest of kingdom show we're looking at now but also like AEW and everything else that those guys have done in the last couple of years absolutely and i think that the I mean, Wrestle Kingdom 11 had a lot of stuff they needed to get right. There was a lot of pressure on them because they just lost two of their biggest stars and also the Good Brothers. And they needed <laughs> they needed Okada Omega to be like, this is our new AJ Shinsuke. This is our new like thing that's going to take us forward. Because AJ was their big yeah, and it's... guy. Well, that's true. And it's like Okada was already a made man because he'd had right. that kind of series of uh, Tokyo Dome matches with Tanahashi mm -hmm. and like that epic rivalry of like the last three years. So going into 11, uh, like Okada's already a made man, but at that time, like the Naito experiment hadn't worked. You know, he was still kind of like recovering from the whole like Stardust Genius era and starting yeah. to kind of like find his like LIJ persona. And he wouldn't really catch fire for like another year or two. 
um, as like a main event guy. Yeah. And then obviously AJ leaves and, you know, Kenny, who at that time had mostly been like a comedy, yeah. uh, like junior heavyweight guy. Yep. Is suddenly now presented as like the top heel and like the top gaijin of New Japan. And he absolutely kind of ran with it and is has become like the biggest star. Absolutely. In all of like outside WWE wrestling. He's the guy that everybody kind of looks to. I mean, he is the best bout machine. He's the cleaner. He's the guy who can go in there and you're like, okay, we can trust him to put on a classic. And spoiler alert, yeah. he did it again at this show. Oh, he sure did. We will talk about that because I have a lot to say so, about that match. Let's get into Wrestle Kingdom 17. We have in total nine matches to talk about, including three that are on the pre-show. Uh, I was going to say, are we going to talk about the 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 old men tag match? Yes, we are going to talk about the old man tag okay. match. Um, um, so I was just to kind of peel behind the curtain. I had a friend come round. Uh, well, I, I was watching the show and they came round. And they didn't like specifically come around to watch it with me. <laughs> um, but they like kind of casually dabble in wrestling. So like yeah. they kind of sat through it and watched it. And I was kind of explaining who some of the guys were and what was going on. For sure. Um, but they came like, I just had it on in the background. Uh, and it was the the six man with like Fujinami and Kojima and Tiger Mask and everyone, Suzuki. And he was just like, why are you watching these old men? Like, <laughs> But I was like, look, Fujinami's doing a dragon screw. This is awesome. Look at him go. He just keeps doing it. Yeah. He's just spamming that dragon screw. <laughs> yeah, it's... Well, and, like the, and I'm like, there's Kojima. He's the leader of Bread Club. And Minoru Suzuki's just there on the babyface team. And it's really strange. It is very odd. Um, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll start there, let's say. We'll start there, because this was the Antonio Inoki Memorial six-man tag team match. The big thing, the big selling point of Wrestle Kingdom 17 was, like, this is the 50th year of New Japan. And also, like, Inoki mm. uh, had just died. If you haven't yet, go back and check out my Super Ma my Death of Superman and Antonio Inoki episode. Yes. I'm very happy with it. I'm very proud of it. Um. But this was his big, like, celebration for Inoki. Uh, so they had a six-man six tag team match between New Yuji Nagata, Satoshi Kojima, and Togi Makabe versus Tatsumi Fujinami, Minoru Suzuki, and Tiger Mask. And, I mean... The combined age of this match is like a thousand. A thousand, I just want to get that out there. <laughs> this, this was the old man match, and uh, Minoru Suzuki, Murder Grandpa, is still just the most terrifying man in pro wrestling i don't know fujinami with that dragon screw like strikes <laughs> fear in the hearts that is a 70 year old man i would not trifle with i mean he can choke your life out he can i mean he's been doing it, it's it's that uh it's that old bruce lee adage where it's like fear not the man who can hit you with a thousand moves fear the man who has practiced one move a thousand times <laughs> Honestly, the more I was watching that match, my legs started to hurt just <laughs> watching him dragon screw all those guys. I don't yeah. have a whole lot more to say about this match other than seeing Suzuki smile made me uncomfortable and goddamn Fujinami loved doing that dragon screw. He sure did. He sure did. Yeah. And it uh, was nice to see Kojima. Bread, bread Club lives on. He does. It does. I, I have here in my notes, uh, not Suzuki-gun wins. Uh, Suzuki-gun was the big faction that uh, Minoru Suzuki was running for a while, and they announced a very uh, 
amicable parting of the ways, which I was surprised about. I guess it's like the classy yeah, thing. So, so for anyone that's listening to this that isn't like super well versed in like the history and like the law of New Japan, first of all, the I'm way sorry. that it works is pretty much like, oh yeah, but I, I'm going <laughs> to try and make it in some way accessible. This is what he does. Um, also, for the record, Antonio Inoki was like the founder and president of New Japan, and he's recently passed away. Also, okay. like legendary wrestler. Mm. Um, watch there's YouTube videos and documentaries about the whole North Korea thing. Go watch that. Yeah, it's fascinating. crazy. Um, also, the time he tried to turn it into like a shoot MMA fighting company. Incredible. It's crazy. We, we need more Inokiism. Um, I completely forgot what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, so Suzuki The lore Suzuki behind Suzuki-gun. Um, yeah. yeah, so the way New Japan works is basically pretty much every wrestler, bar like a small handful, is in a faction. Um, now, in American wrestling, factions like the NWO, DX, Evolution, uh, I don't know, Alpha Academy, yes. so <laughs> on, uh, are very, like, close-knit groups. Um, they all have like matching gear and like matching entrance music in Japan. It's a bit looser. It's kind of like fraternities. Yeah. Um, wrestlers, like when they come into the company will join one of these kind of like five, six, seven groups that exist. And they don't like, you can have bad guys and good guys in the same factions. They don't all necessarily have to be like partners and friends. It's a more kind of like loose affiliation. Um, but Suzuki gun led by like legendary wrestler Minoru Suzuki well, like one of the main, um, like more like heel bad guy factions for the last like 10 or so years. And they recently announced that they're disbanding and all of the kind of members of that are now free agents, uh, which is something we'll talk about in a later match. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm interested to hear your thoughts on one of the, something they set up out of that. But yes. it's a sad day for all the Suzuki gun stands out there. Uh, Kazi Ninare. No Kazi Ninare, indeed. Where's um, the wind? <sighs> I, I I love that. I love that. That whole thing. Like sometimes I'll just put that on. His theme his theme rules. Um but yeah, I don't really have a lot whole lot else to say about this. I will be giving my uh my arbitrary Dave Meltzer stars out of uh out of 5 here throughout. So just well, be considering it's for that. the considering it's the Tokyo Dome is everything getting at least 5? If not 7. Everything's at least 7 stars. Okay. So just base uh, this that. match gets a star. This match this gets a star for every time Fujin Army did a dragon screw. So it it's a like thousand 20. stars. Hell yeah! Yeah, I I have I have it at two stars. I think it was fun. There was not not a whole lot to it. Minoru Suzuki. Yeah, uh, it was murder grandpa. It's it's one of those. Where it's like if you know like the history of all these kind of old men. Uh, most of them are people that either like were trained by Inoki or had yep. wrestled Inoki or have like personal connections to yeah. Antonio Inoki. It was like a nice tribute of like all of his old like partners and rivals and proteges having a big old tag match to kind of commemorate him. So it's Absolutely. like for someone that is like a, a deep fan of Inoki in New Japan, it's it's a nice little tribute. For sure. Totally agree. Uh, we also had an exhibition match between Ryohe Oiwa versus Oleg Bolton. <laughs> Uh, I don't know either of these guys, and it went to a time limit draw. I did not. I didn't. I did not watch this. It went to a time limit draw. Went to a time limit draw. Uh, one star. One star for me there. Uh, Minus five stars. <laughs> uh, and then our final pre pre show match was the Rambo Battle Royal. They have this every single year at Wrestle Kingdom. 
Uh, yeah, but this year it was like it was weird because four guys won. Well, because they had to advance to the uh, to the four way at New Year's Dash. For those well, of you who aren't I, aware, I, I love uh, New Year's Dash is the New show. Japan, anytime um, I see, anytime <laughs> I see King of Pro Wrestling, I tune out. <laughs> Uh, New Year's Dash is the show immediately following the next day after uh, after the Tokyo Dome, after the Wrestle Kingdom show, where no one knows what match they're in, no one knows what they're uh, what they're wrestling until they get out to the ring, which is really fun. Yeah. It's always an exciting time. It's basically like the Wrestle Kingdom after party. Yes, absolutely. That's a great way to put it's it. Very silly. It's very fun. It's like the Raw after WrestleMania, but like if it was actually good. You mean like 2009 not, uh, through like 2014? Well, when Raw I think of, unfortunately, when I think of Raw's after WrestleMania now, I remember remember that year that Seth and Kofi were going to have that match to oh, unify God. the world titles, and then they wrestled uh, The Bar instead. And that then should... in like a nothing so tag dumb. match. Was so that was the last time, that was the last time The Bar were ever on TV before Sheamus disappeared. That's true. That's a good point. What a send-off to one of the best tag teams of the last couple of years in WWE. Yeah. Not 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 a bad way. Not a speaking bad of speaking of tag teams. Speaking of tag teams, the IWGP junior heavyweight tag title match kicks off the main card. Yes. I'm just gonna completely skip over that King of Pro Wrestling <laughs> match. Uh Sh- Shingo deserves more. It. Shingo Takagi Sh- deserves Sh- more. Shingo deserves more, and I don't want to talk about Great Okan. So we're moving Two on. Two stars. <laughs> But yes, IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championship. Uh, this is Catch 2-2, which involves TJP and Francesco Akira versus Leo Rush. And damn it, I have in my notes, literally I have this written down, Leo Rush and you, instead of Leo Rush and yo. And I was yeah, like, oh, I, me? I, I think I've also corrected it to you a few times. <laughs> Um, really fun tag match. Uh, you might, if you watch WWE television, be familiar with Leo Rush and TJP. TJP, the inaugural uh, WWE Cruiserweight Champion. Um, I mean, I I enjoy Leo TJP. Rush was the guy. Leo Rush was. The I like guy. it when he, he did the Lashley. dab, and then <laughs> Leo Rush was the guy that pointed at Bobby Lashley's bum. Actually, um, Bobby so. Lashley pointed at his own bum. That's true. <laughs> and then uh, Leo Rush kind of stood next to him doing his best Christopher Walken impression. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I I've always I've always enjoyed TJP, um, and not just because he's Filipino like myself, uh, mostly because he's Filipino like myself, but also because he he has a way of making very complicated wrestling moves look incredibly easy. And that's something that I've always appreciated about him. And he's right now in his high school Eric era where he's constantly just rocking beanies and the long, like, Justin Bieber haircut. And I'm like, I have never <laughs> felt friend, more seen in a wrestling ring in my entire life. My the, the friend who I was watching with uh, described him as looking like the lost member of Blink-182. <laughs> yes, totally. With all, all the new tattoos sad. he's got. <laughs> But they are they are part of a bigger faction called United Empire, which we will again talk about in a bit. Um, but yeah, they they got the win, retained their titles. I thought this was a fun match. Thought it was really fun. Uh, they're very good at what they do, and Leo Rush got busted open halfway through the match too. Mm. 
This was yeah, I enjoyed this match. I thought I thought this was the perfect way to start the show off. Yeah. Um, I I really like the pairing of Rush and Yao. Um, yeah, I'm kind of like coming back into New Japan after like a bit of time away. So the last time I really like watched a big New Japan show, uh, it was, was show Yo was in Rapongi 3K. Yeah. yeah, so it was like, and like Leo Rush is like a very good tag guy, and he he's kind of experienced enough that he can kind of like mentor Yo. And they looked really good as a as a team together. Um, I thought Rush had a really really great performance, even in spite of like. The nasty cut he got. Yeah, um, it was bad. For those who might not have seen, they, they did a spot where uh, Catch 2-2 did like, it's like a 3D into like a face buster on the ramp. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that seemed to just like bust like a big kind of gnarly cut down the side of Leo Rush's forehead. But he persevered. Uh, he hit some good moves. He hit the rush hour, which I always pop for. Yep. Um, and I, I thought they were good gonna get the win i thought rush and yo were gonna win i know, start off with a big point. kind of baby face victory but uh catch two to retain good match uh i enjoyed it yeah absolutely agree i think that this was and this was notable too because you don't get usually get a lot of blood in new japan matches but this what a what a show for john moxley to not be on because there were some <laughs> gushers in this uh in this show but yeah I, I have uh, two and a half stars out of five. I really enjoyed this match. I thought it was a fun opener and a great way to kick things off. Uh, they then followed yeah, up agree with that. Followed up with the IWGP Women's World Championship. Uh, the champion Kyrie defended against Tam Nakano. Um, this was, I think, gen- generously, it was five minutes, maybe. Um, I, the the entrances were longer than the match itself. We'll say that this lengthwise this was a a divas era uh, a match, which is unfortunate because both these performers are actually very very good. Yeah, it, it's it's frustrating because like obviously uh, this is like one of the first real times we've had. You know, the IWGP Women's Title is a new creation, very new. Getting a featured women's match on Wrestle, Wrestle Kingdom, Kingdom is a big deal. Yeah. Um, and like they picked two really good wrestlers to be on the show in in Kyrie and uh, Tam Nakamau, and yeah, it went six minutes. And like it's it's funny because like a normal critique of Wrestle Kingdom is that the show goes on too long. Yep. And I thought this year <laughs> they tried to kind of like they tried to change it by having quite a few short matches. Yeah. Like both this match and the Zack Saber Junior uh, Renderita matches were yeah. both considerably shorter than I anticipated, uh, which is good and like helps the card be less bloated. But also it's like. What Kyrie and Tam did in this like six minutes was really really good. It was. Uh, I massively popped for uh, Nakamo hitting the Steiner, Steiner screwdriver. Yep. Oh. Um, when when, it was when also she like... picked her up and just held her there, I was like, "This is, I I need at least fifteen more minutes of this." Like, it was. Yeah. If, if this match had even just gone like ten minutes, even yeah. they just gave them like an extra four or five minutes, um, and obviously like you have to factor in like the length of like all the post-match stuff as well so like the women did have a feature like one of the most prominent angles on the show as well but like i do wish this match got a bit more time um mostly just to see Kyrie hit that back fist Oof. some more times because so nice it was gnarly Kyrie has some of the hardest hits in wrestling and she also she, has she really the, does the best elbow drop in the business still has it and i 
for the complaints about the time, I still popped huge for the entrance. I just love seeing pirate princess Kyrie. Uh, I just with oh, her absolutely. little her little uh, steering wheel prop. It's just, it makes me very happy. I wish that just like when she was like the NXT champion, she had the title in a little treasure box. Oh, the treasure but... chest. But we've got time. I, I, regarding the timing, regarding the timing of this match, I have it written down in my notes that this match went half as long as Tama Tonga and Carl Anderson, which uh, is Owen's oh, favorite travesty. match on the card. We'll get to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I unfortunately I had to give this like a one and a half stars just because we only got five minutes of it, even though it was good. Um, they they needed more time. It, it never felt like it really got out of that that first gear. Yeah. But they're not really going to be talking about this match because the big news coming out of this show alongside a uh, match that we're going to get to was the debut of Mercedes Monet, uh, the former Sasha Banks in WWE. Um, we all knew this was coming. It was not a surprise to anyone, but it was still very cool to see her come out there. Um, I don't know for the life of me it it took me all the way until the end of the segment to realize what was going on with her hair that it was supposed to be blue at the back and then flames <laughs> coming out because from the front it just looks yeah, like kind of like burning away print. oh that's a good yeah. shout so maybe she'll show up with yeah like, that's how it looks to me it was hair. like it like the bits were like the orange and the blue kind of met it looked like the blue was being like burned away that's um, a good shout yeah Obviously, sense. like you think about how like the the blue hair is like so synonymous with like her Sasha Banks run. Um, yeah, I thought that was like quite indicative of like her saying like that character is like slowly being burnt away and replaced with this new like CEO Mercedes yeah. Benet character. I do like the the push from boss to CEO. It's like an upgrade. She got a promotion and now she's a new Japan. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I take umbrage with it because we all know that the real CEO of women's wrestling is Stephanie McMahon. No, she's the, she is the, the founder of women's wrestling. The innovator. The creator. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Um, the same way Triple H is the creator of British wrestling. Correct. Absolutely. And all of his children, British strong style were the first British all wrestlers big, ever. strong boys. All his big That's true. Boys. That is actually a scientific fact. Um, but yeah, it was cool to see Mercedes here. You know, she's been gone from uh, from WWE since the start of last year, kind of. Yeah. Like the spring basically. where her and Naomi walked out on Raw over the thing with the tag titles. And it's kind of been like a will she, won't she thing with WWE. Like when Triple H took over, there was the whole thing about her and Naomi are going to come back. And then that didn't seem to happen. And then apparently there was this agreement where she could leave, but she was under no compete for like the remainder of 2022. Yeah. And now she's here in the Tokyo Dome and she's with uh, New Japan. She came out really kind of cool, extravagant entrance, uh, had like a stare down with Kyrie, attacked Kyrie. We're not going to talk about the way in which she tried to attack her because Eesh. the move didn't yep. really work. Unfortunately. Um, and then she basically like announced that they're going to have a match at a, a New Japan US show in san jose next month um, and yeah. so that'll be quite exciting should be a good um, match yeah excited right? excited to see what mercedes does obviously we know that she's a huge fan of of japanese wrestling so having her both like working for stardom and new japan will be really cool um like her and Kyrie, from what i remember of them wrestling in wwe they always had really good matches yep 
So I'm excited to see what happens if they if they actually get time and get like a, allowed to kind of show off everything they can do. I think they will. I think it being on U.S. soil, I think they're going to be given like a bigger stage for it. And people are going to the reaction, I think, is going to be better because I, I don't think it was quite the reaction they were hoping for from the crowd. I mean, they can only make so much noise, but yeah. still that the it wasn't as loud as I was kind of hoping it would be. So hopefully the, they'll be a little bit more rowdy when they come to uh, San Jose. But next match was the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Championship, where the champions FTR defended against Bishamon, uh, Hiroki Goto, and Yoshihashi. Uh, this, I I can't lie, watching watching them watching both teams come out for this match, I was like, oh no, they're just. I knew who was going to win, and it just made me sad because FTR has been on a big losing streak when it comes to their titles. They were draped in gold by midway through 2022, and um, yeah, they have just lost all of their titles in succession. The ROH Tag Team Championships, the Triple Within the span of like a couple of weeks as well. Yeah, and now they have lost they dropped the, the, they dropped the ROH. GP. They dropped the... Uh... They dropped the ROH titles to the Briscoes maybe like Dumb a month boys. ago at Final Battle. Yep. And then they dropped the AAA titles, and now they've dropped the IWGP titles. So it's like big losing streak for FTR. Um, I'm, it's, I, I assume they were going to lose because that's the story they've been playing on AEW and Ring of Honor. Yeah. Um, Bishimon seems to be really over with the New Japan crowd. They are, too, like sure. Homegrown stalwart. Uh, New Japan guys, I always pop for a bit of Hiroki Goto. Same. Um, and I pop even more for FTR's music. I love Every it. Every time. Um, I enjoyed this match. It's another instance, and this will become like a common thing throughout our review. It's like, I wish it got a bit more time. Yeah. Um, but I thought this was really fun, and I think the right team won. The New Japan crowd seemed really into uh, Yoshihashi and Goto. And uh, there is an interesting thing I picked up on picked up on uh, in this match i don't know if you're going to mention but I, i'll circle back to that after you've uh said your piece um yeah honestly like i i echo everything you were saying like i would it's funny because this show is like five and a half hours and i'm like they should have gotten more time like it's it's weird but again i kind of yeah. when watching it i had that cloud over me of like i know they're gonna lose so it's like there's not there was a little bit of enjoyment taken out for me also as a quick mention as well when they lost the triple a tag team championships they immediately vacated them the winners because dragon lee's going to wwe now so what a shitty thing yeah to have happen but that aside uh i i enjoyed this match um bishaman was i mean they like you said they're super over they're like a well-oiled machine at this point I'm, I'm excited to see the run that they're gonna have uh for me again another two and a half star match nice but again the enjoyment to take it up to that three stars was uh taken out for me just a little bit because i just i feel bad for cash and dax i really do but go ahead you said you mentioned you saw something so I I would actually probably lean more towards like two and three quarters or three stars for this match, mm. mostly just because of something I really, I picked up on while rewatching it today that I found really interesting, which is that like one of the reasons I think FTR is such an interesting tag team to watch is like 
the deep knowledge of like traditional wrestling tag rules and like the yeah. psychology of tag team wrestling. And it was almost like this match was like a battle of ideology between like Japanese tag wrestling and American tag wrestling where like throughout the match, spot after spot, Bishimon would be breaking up tags or breaking up pinfalls. Sorry. Yeah. So like FTR would hit the big rig. Uh, one of the members of Bishimon would, ki- would, would kind of interrupt and break the pin. And they, they did that multiple times throughout the match. Whereas FTR, only ever broke up a pin once because like traditional American tag rules dictates that teams are only allowed one breakup. Yeah. That is. Um, so I, I thought the way in which that. like the way in which FDR were kind of very restrained and like uh, strategic on when they use the uh, pin breakup was really cool. I also thought it was interesting that Dax was the one that took the pin here. Um, totally agree. After the year that Dax had in 2022, well, he's friends with CM Punk, so obviously, like... Oh, everybody hates him. Yeah. Tony, Ka- Tony Khan's uh, making sure that <laughs> he like, takes those L's. Pit him. Well, <laughs> I I really loved the one episode of his podcast that he's probably going to be allowed to make, because he's probably not going to be allowed to make any <laughs> yeah, that's episodes. Not, that's he spent it up talking back. about CM Punk. But, uh, yeah, obviously, uh, FTR You know loses. what? I, I, I made an analogy. I am Sorry, I made an analogy oh, to my friend yesterday that dax's podcast about punk is the same as like those deadline articles that the rock definitely didn't pay for that was like black adam actually made loads of money you just don't know how to count yeah yeah it's like it was it gave me the exact same energy as dax being like everyone backstage love punk yeah yeah it's 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 a fun i um, i'm sure who's, who's dax is always to say this dax has always seemed like a really like stand-up dude and so I want to give him the oh, benefit absolutely. of the doubt, but yeah, that that episode was 100% a CM Punk apology podcast. So we'll see if anything comes out of that. Look, they they better be really good friends because CM Punk does not take kindly to people talking about him on podcasts. True, true facts. He is a many friendships with with that man have ended over podcasts. So he's the only one that gets to shit on podcasts. Yeah, that's uh, true. So next up, we had uh, the finals for the NJPW World Television Championship. Uh, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Ren Narita. Uh, Owen mentioned that this one went short as well. That was actually by design because these matches are only supposed to go 15 minutes. That is your time limit. And if they went the full 15 minutes, they would have to have a rematch at a later date. And there was a when they mentioned that on commentary, there's a moment where I was like, don't you do another god damn time limit draw on this show <laughs> don't you do it and thankfully they didn't i think they went like well that's the difference because minutes. i didn't i didn't watch that pre-show match <laughs> that's what happened yeah um yeah they uh they, they went i think only like 12 13 minutes this was a great technical match obviously zach saber jr the my uh my fiance loves whenever he shows up because she's always like the technical wizard because they they referred to him that as that so much during the original Cruiserweight Classic, and that's really the. I was only about thing to say, do you remember about. those interviews he did for the CWC with yeah. like Harry Potter references? Yeah, all the time. And so she like pops every single time she sees him. She's like, "It's the technical wizard," and I'm like, "Yes, that is him." But yeah, Zack um, Sabre Jr. is low key one of my favorite guys to watch. You both can, you in, can hear me getting. You can hear me getting audibly giddy when I get to talk about Zack Sabre Jr. <laughs> because he is my he is my second favorite wrestler. He's um, so good. 
Like my favorite thing about um, him is when he loses matches, because every single what, time what, when, he, when Joe... he crashed out of the G, he crashed out of the G one and blamed it uh, being too distracted thinking about Boris Johnson. Yep. Every time he, every um, single time, listener, that he loses a match, they do these post match interviews, and he just rips up the interview area, <laughs> throws a tantrum, throws himself on the floor. Um, but he's he just he shouts random shit like when he was coming out for this match, all he was he was oh yeah, I wanted, match, I wanted to like, mention this. He's so, just shouting uh, at the camera like, "Pay nurses a living wage." Yes. So uh, so currently in the UK, um, NHS. Uh, workers are on strike over um, like steep rises in inflation, cost of living crisis over here, yeah. and the government aren't really doing a whole lot to deal with any of these strikes or pay. Uh, emergency service workers, nurses, doctors, ambulance drivers, so on, a, a fair wage given the steep rise in inflation. And um, so as he's coming out, um, <laughs> Junior does like the whole like John Cena talking into the camera yeah. spot, and it's like Rishi Sunak, the British Prime Minister, he's like, Pay nurses a living wage, you dickhead. Yeah, love it. Also, Sabre Junior coming out with Joe Hendry hair popped me. I was, I was gonna say it was the Adam Blompied hair. I was like, Oh my god, I, I, I think so, I think that's a perfect triangle. <laughs> that is, that is the, the prime, you know. I just realized we've, uh, we said his name. You're not supposed to say his name because then he appears. Oh, that's right. Oh no. I, I, I believe, believe in Joe him. Hendrick. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, th this is a fun match. You can tell that they've got a lot of plans for Renderita because he is a tough SOB and, um, he was making Zach, Zach was selling his ass off for Renderita. They did a spot where they were dueling uh, soccer kicks, and Ren was taking him like a champ. And he gives one soccer kick to uh, <laughs> to Zach, and he just starts flopping on the ground, just shouting his head off. He's I, so yeah, fun I to love watch. this match. I this gets five stars for me because this is like same <laughs> junior match. He's just like I I love like technical. Um, like British catches catch can style wrestling. Yep. I love like mat based submission, that kind of wrestling. So there's a reason why my two favorite wrestlers are Brian Danielson and Zack Sabre Jr. Like oh, yeah. that is the style that I really, really <laughs> enjoy. Um, but it's that mixed with like Zach's trash talking and his character stuff. He's yeah. just he's so entertaining to watch. And like he was awesome in this match. He he made Renderita look awesome. Uh, he seems like someone New Japan are really high on. Obviously, there's the whole like Shibata connection and the whole yep. thing with Sabre Junior and Shibata style. Yeah, and so like even though Narita lost, like he's clearly someone that like New Japan have high hopes for for the future. Yep, I think in there's two matches on this card that we really got a sense of like there's guys here that New Japan very much see as the faces of the company in five ten years time, and I think Narita is one of them. Absolutely. Um, but right guy won Zack Sabre Junior. Is the greatest. We we love him. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. Uh, this one gets like a really easy four stars for me. Um, it's brisk. It's technical. It's fun. They sell each other's offense really really well. Um, that belt is god awful though. I do not yeah, like that. That design my, of that belt um, is atrocious. My friend who I was watching the show with described it as a Texans uh, belt buckle. Yes. 100 percent um i will say i know i just said i gave this much five stars i am knocking it down to four because slapjack showed up after it yeah we got the tmdk reunion 
uh, <laughs> Slapjack and his buddy Mad Mike, uh, formerly TM61 and NXT, uh, and formerly before that, they were the Mighty Don't Kneel, uh, reuniting. He's, he'll with... always be Slapjack to me. He will forever. Slapjack forever. Uh, Zach joins up with them, and I, I do love after they. Uh, after they recruit him into the group, he's no longer a free agent. He was formerly part of Suzuki Goon. Um, he's immediately just like, I'm the leader. I'm the leader now. And they're like, yes. no, 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 you're not. He's like, yeah, I'm the leader. I love Yeah, Zach I like Suzuki. this because like, obviously like Zach was like the number two guy in Suzuki Goon. Yeah. Um, so it makes sense that he would start his own faction and be the leader instead of him just joining like Chaos or Bullet Club or whoever. Yeah. He would be like the top guy of a new faction. In the same way they did with Osprey and United Empire. So I like that. Um, obviously, like he, him and uh, Shane and Mikey have a lot of history. Yeah. Um, so that's fun. They're going to have a lot of banter. I'm excited to see. And it's funny because like, great. I always think of TMDK as like a very like Australian-centric act. Yeah. So to see Zach with them and with like the logo and the T-shirt is a bit jarring for me. For sure. Um. But I, I think the three of them together will be really fun. I saw at the New Year's Dash show that they just like they needed a fourth guy, so they just like dragged some young boy in with them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to see yeah. what, what's going on with that. They're uh, they're they're gonna be a fun act to watch for sure. Um next up we got Owen's favorite six star match. It's the never open weight championship. Uh champion Carl Anderson, also of WWE, uh defending against the Thomas Tonga. Yeah, the uh, the OC, not that one. Uh, the OC is represented here. This, uh... um, I thought this was fun. I thought this was Carl... a bad match. It was it was fine. My my favorite part, I my favorite part, and it's my favorite part of every Carl Anderson New Japan match is the entrance and the uh, the ring call because he gets to do his like and the ref and the ring announcer duck every single time and it just makes <laughs> my heart happy they, they i'm gonna play the say, gimmick. look i i'm gonna say this about carl anderson it is incredible how much one man can live off a decent g1 performance from like a decade ago because <laughs> any conversation about carl anderson as a singles guy always comes back to oh <sighs> that g1 run he had in 2012 I was going to bring it up. You're right. I was going to bring it up. He went to the final against Okada nearly 11 years ago. Yes, (laughs) Owen, I was going to bring it up. I am guilty of that as well. He was the worst member of the Super Elite. Ugh, yeah. But I I love, because I thought you were going to say how much he can live off just having a hot Asian wife, and that's just his gimmick, because that is essentially his gimmick. He loves if his gimmick was just doing uh, Asian wife. If his gimmick was just doing the sour boy skits from being the elite, oh yeah, maybe I would I would enjoy Carl Anderson a bit more. Um, but as also I, I look, this is just going to sound like I'm shitting on Carl Anderson, and I am a little bit, a little bit. Um, it was it was jarring in a cool way to see him like have the full OC WWE gimmick presentation. Yeah, the shirt and um, everything. It was also cool to see like him doing like the bullet club taunts he even threw up like a an e, an e hand symbol for the the elite yeah so he was kind of like representing all three like iterations of bullet club across the major promotions pretty cool that was cool and then he continued to wrestle the match in a t-shirt like it was a wwe house show well for him it was 
There's only 25,000. Yeah, people. and it's like, obviously, it is a, a big deal with like a WWE yeah. contracted guy fighting, defending a New Japan title. Um, and obviously, like the story of him and Tamatonga, they have a lot of history. Great being story. two of the four founding members of Bullet Club. Yeah. And like Tamatonga's had like a really interesting rise as a singles guy. Um, starting with like the Bullet Club Civil War storyline and then like him being kicked out of Bullet Club. Yeah. Uh, last year. I've really been enjoying his kind of like rise. Um I wasn't I wasn't hugely into this match, I'm I'm not gonna lie. It was like it was a bit too much sports entertainment on my wrestling show. Fair. Yeah. Um, like it was fine. It was serviceable, but it, it didn't interest me a great deal. It was uh, a bit disappointing that they kind of botched the finish a little bit. Yeah, that was unfortunate that they didn't go for it to do it, you know, to redo it. Or yeah, anything. though I will say it was saved by uh, Chris Charlton on commentary, who uh, I love anyway. Him yeah. and Kevin Kelly are two of my favorite announcers in general. Um, but as Tonga hits the kind of botched uh, gun stun, Charlton says, it all starts with a gun stun and it ended with a gun stun, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this, this we should give a quick little shout to this commentary team. Kevin Kelly is one of the unsung heroes of wrestling commentary. Um, he's been uh, Kevin, fantastic Ke for a long time. Kevin Kelly is on my kind of Mount Rushmore of wrestling announcers. Totally agree. It's like, it, it it tells you how highly I think of Ian Riccoboni that Kevin Kelly isn't like the undisputed best play-by-play -play commentator right That's now. That's fair. Ian Riccoboni's very good. Because like, obviously like AW, I can't work out who the caller is there. I think it's meant to be Tony, but I, it pretty much is just Excalibur at this point. But they're think, all great. I think Taz serves a lot of color. Yeah. When he's on. Um obviously like in wwe michael michael cole's been better since triple h has taken over 100%. i like him and wade together uh kevin patrick is not cutting it for me i'm sorry <laughs> he's trying his um, best but yeah get get abnan verk back Oof. what happened to Abnan? remember the time uh braun oh, did like the train thing around the ring and Abnan verk shouted we're gonna need a bigger boat i love that guy Ugh. yeah it's it's uh yeah that's that's unfortunate. and then I... even in um even an impact, they've got um, Tom Phillips over yeah. there as well. So, like, there's a lot of good commentators at the moment. Absolutely, but, uh, Kevin Kevin Kelly is kind of like the best, I'd say, right now. He's and Chris Charlton's a lot of fun too. So. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really only familiar with Charlton through New Japan, and so I've mm. I I like him and Kevin Kelly together. I like them a lot. When it comes yes. to Carl Anderson, I do want to mention because his never open weight uh rain has actually been really fun to watch um this match notwithstanding it has been fairly high quality <laughs> uh i i enjoy him as a character i i i i have it in my notes so i have to bring it up his g1 final with okada uh, 11 was... years ago yes owen i know but it's in the notes i have to talk Ren about it Renderita was like a child when that match happened. Renderita is still a child. So yeah, it's it's you know, two and a half stars. This is as much as I could give it. I thought it was a, a fine match. Um we next I can't get... wait to see Carl Anderson wrestle Elias on Raw. Oh, it's gonna be great. Can't wait. Actually, I mean we we might get a uh, Good Brothers Usos match, which could be fun. 
Don't want uh, that. Uh, we, ha- we next have a uh, six-man tag. Keiji Muto, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Shota Umino versus Los Ingobernables de Japón. That being uh, Tetsuya Naito, Sanada, and Bushi. Uh, Keiji Muto, uh, his final match in the gimmick as Keiji Muto. And uh, what a career that guy's had. He's coming hot off of yeah. a match as the great Muta against Shinsuke Nakamura, which was... Uh, awesome. Awesome fun spooky nonsense i love watching shinsuke just be japanese shinsuke where he's allowed to actually wrestle like he used to wrestle yeah um but yeah this match is fun um it's it's really just kind of a a send-off for keiji muto uh trying to get tetsuya naito on the card poor naito uh but the big deal same with tanahashi yeah, that too. I feel it's weird not having Tanahashi in like a big singles feud for a wrestling. That was kind of one of my thoughts. It was like one, it shows that how much respect they're paying to the great Muta by having such big stars in this match, but also yeah. it's like kind of tells you that there is so much quality in New Japan at the moment that both Tanahashi and Naito don't have like marquee singles matches on the card. It's crazy. And then the the big shot for me was the fact that uh Muto's team won, but Shota Umino got the pin, which I thought was very interesting. He's another young guy uh, like Narita that I think they are going to be looking at going forward because he's a talented kid. Yeah, so I have a, I have a few observations and, These... and points that I wrote down about this match. Uh, I thought it was a really good send-off for Keiji Muto. Uh, I really wish they'd let him do the moonsault, though yeah. Tanahashi's reaction when, <laughs> he's like, no, 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 when he got up there was so funny. <laughs> uh love Tanahashi, greatest hair in wrestling, go ace. Yep. Um Air Guitar. But, uh, I also have written uh when will it be Sonada's time, Sai? Uh being they... a Sonada fan <sighs> is pain. I can't believe they yeah. chose to give evil the big push instead of him. That is a sin. I understand what they were trying to do because they didn't want to uh turn Sonata, but Man, yeah, I I feel like a yeah, year and I, a half ago was the perfect time to put the belt on him. I I just and maybe it's the benefit of hindsight. I think if you had Sonata be the one to turn um, on Naito and do the whole Bullet Club switch instead of Evil, I think it would have gotten a lot better because I think Sonata is fantastic and he's ready Agreed. to be like a main event singles guy. It has been for a few years, absolutely. Um, but I thought this match was really interesting, mostly because of the pairing of Shota. Tanahashi and Naito. I thought having the three of them together was a really interesting story for me. Mostly in like um so Shota's like we, we talked about Renderita earlier. Shota's another guy I think is gonna be like a future. He's probably gonna be the next Okada guy for New Japan. And like obviously he uh started kind of like Moxley's young boy when Moxley went over to New Japan. Yeah. And now he's kind of being like mentored by Tanahashi. Mm-hmm. Um, as like the next like Tanahashi kind of guy. And yeah. I think furthering that story by putting them against Naito is so interesting because obviously like that was essentially Naito's position when he was originally the Stardust, D- Stardust genius. Yeah. That he was like the, because like for those of you who aren't like super aware, Tanahashi is like the clean court Hulk Hogan, John Cena kind of good guy. Yeah. Um. And like when Naito first broke out, they tried to very much do that. And it's basically like the Roman Reigns suffering succotash era Oof. 
Yep. And the crowds bad. just like flat out rejected uh, Naito. And it took him like leaving New Japan, going to Mexico, joining uh, Los Ingobernables, and coming back as this kind of like uh, like mafia boss, anti hero character to really kind of not only find his find himself, but also like get over with the crowd. And now like now Naito and Lij in general are like beloved figures in New Japan. But Absolutely. I thought like Naito found success by rejecting kind of following that path of Tanahashi mm-hmm. that Shota is currently going down. So I thought that, yeah. that was a really interesting pairing for him because like Shota's still got a but got a bit of that kind of Moxley in him. A little um, bit, yeah, you could tell. That kind of like that that violent kind of anti-hero that very much is more in keeping with someone like Tetsuya Naito. So it'd be interesting to see like over the next kind of year or two as the story progresses, whether that is like an ideological clash for Shota or whether he kind of follows in the footsteps of someone like Tanahashi or whether he goes down the path of someone like a John Moxley or a Tetsuya Naito. I just yeah. thought that was a really interesting uh, pairing. That's a great point, too. And I think, like, if you take, like, Renarita as, like, your kind of true blue, like, we we could have a, a three musketeers situation where it's, like, he ends up being, like, the Shibata, and we've got Shota as maybe he kind of slots into the, um, to the Tanahashi role, or maybe even the Nakamura role, because... Again, for those of you who aren't aware, there was a period where there was there were three guys that New Japan was like, these are our guys. It was Hiroshi Tanahashi, uh, uh, Kats- Katsuyori Shibata, and Shinsuke Nakamura. And it's like these are the three guys that are gonna like take us into the next you know period. Uh, Shibata left, and uh, it was basically just uh, Nakamura and Tanahashi who were kind of like the guys before the rise of Okada, uh, so on and so forth. And so that could be a really interesting parallel to watch with Narita yeah. and with uh, Umino. Could be very interesting. Uh, this yeah. was a two and a half, two and a half star for me. Nothing wrong with it. Nothing especially like exciting, but uh, a good send off for Keiji Muto. Uh, Absolutely. Th- then we got the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. This was a fatal four-way between the champion Taiji Ishimori representing Bullet Club uh, versus El Desperado versus Hiromu Takahashi and Master Wato. Um, it was supposed to be Kushida, but Kushida has a hand, foot, mouth disease, and so he had to pull out. So we have Master Wato instead. Um, and you can clearly very much tell that one of these things is not like the others because three of these guys are junior heavyweight (laughs) mainstays for new japan these are three guys who are huge in that division and then there's master wato okay can i just say this um when everyone was coming out for this match it was very much like, why is this guy here? Yeah. Why is Master Watto here? Yeah. By the end of this match, I think I'm now the biggest Master Watto <laughs> fan. No, don't say that. Because, like, uh... it's so funny because like, he was a last-minute replacement for Kushida because it very much felt like so much of this match was built around getting Watto over. Yeah. And, like, I I thought, like, Meeg's... Like, obviously, like, Takahashi is, like, 
brilliant. We love him. Absolutely. Uh, Taiji Shimori, Bone Soldier, is so cool. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorites in New Japan. And El Desperado is really cool as well. So, like, these three guys, like you said, are all made men in the junior division. And then you've got this, like, jabroni Master Wata. <laughs> And it was like, you could hear the crowd throughout the match get more and more into Watto. And like, it started out like, it almost felt like they were starting to like cheer him ironically at the start of the match. (laughs) And then by the end of it, like the people genuinely wanted him to win. When he hit that like pitch perfect German suplex with the bridge, I I genuinely thought he was going to win. I'm a sucker for a good German. And like, he had the perfect bridge on that. Um Again, it does still feel like he's like he's a small fish in a very big pond. Uh, Master Watto's the next day. He's oh, the next guy. Uh, the age of Watto is upon us. We're gonna have Watto versus Kushido with Kushido with the uh, Ziggler gimmick. It should have been me. It should have <laughs> been me. Look, it's Watto's world, and we're all just Watto's living in it. <laughs> Stop. Get out of there, Wadlow. Stop. In your short hair. Um. Yeah, uh, so Takahashi um, yeah, wins. Is... It's funny because like I was quite surprised that they put the belt back on Hiromu. Yeah, same. Uh, mostly because like there's part of me that was kind of expecting that he would kind of move up into heavyweight after this. I thought maybe this was the time to start trying to like, in the same way they did with like Osprey a few yeah. years ago, that maybe now, because like, he's, yeah. he, like, He's kind of like a five-time junior champion now. Like yeah. he is a made guy in that division. I thought maybe now's the time they start. Maybe you know they start him off in kind of like the never open weight pitcher. See how he fares against bigger guys. I could see that. But you for start sure. that. You start that push towards him becoming a heavyweight over the next year or two. Yeah. Um. I think the crowd are into him enough that he can be a top guy. Um. But I was quite surprised to see that now they just kind of kept. Uh, kept in the juniors he won the title here and it was a good match but i, I was a bit surprised to see uh, takahashi win i was kind of surprised just because i think taiji has had a had such a strong run with that belt and again it just kind of feels like him and Hiromu are just kind of like handing the belt back and forth for the last few years but i mean they kind of are the division and maybe i mean who knows god forbid this be the the beginning of a slow push for master wato to eventually take the belt off of takahashi be. at the next okada. kingdom uh take no, the belt stop, off okada? stop no stop it uh it's it was a fine match um three stars for me like i said a good match no frills and then we get to what i believe is the match of the night um for the Wait, IW... not, not the uh, not the six man tag with all the dads. Well, I thought your match of the night was going to be Carl Anderson versus Tomatonga, but for me, IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship, the champion Will Osprey defending against a returning Kenny Omega. Kenny has not been in the Tokyo Dome since he lost the heavyweight championship to Tanahashi. What was that four years ago? Four years ago. Right before the beginning of AEW. And um, yeah, this was very clearly 
NJPW cleaner Kenny Omega. He even came out, and maybe it's just because I am loving my playthrough of Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core Reunion right now, but when they hit the opening dirge of One-Winged Angel, Sephiroth's theme song, I popped huge. I jumped out of my couch. He, we got the big old one-wing graphic. He came out in full-on Sephiroth cosplay. I was on cloud nine seeing this. I was over the frickin' moon. I wish he had come out with just the long Masamune katana, but they probably wouldn't have allowed him to do that because he would have used it to slice Will Ospreay in half during the match. Um... I, I mentioned this because I was finally watching it. I mentioned it in our group chat on Twitter. Um, I was like, I love how this is just Assassin's Creed versus Final Fantasy. Because yeah. just alongside it being the return of the cleaner, this was also for Will Ospreay, the return of the aerial assassin. Will Ospreay, very notably inspired by Assassin's Creed early on in his career, he ditched the <laughs> Kingpin gimmick, brought back his best theme, Elevate, and oh my god, it was so cool to see them back when, in their old when gimmicks. When that music hit, because that was the theme he used um, when he was doing a lot of the British indies in like yeah. 2016, 2017, like it brought back such nostalgia here in his old yeah. music in like the whole like aerial assassin moniker. Uh, yeah, he did the pose, really cool the me. the little like yeah. the superhero pose that he used to do. Yeah, I, I wish it was, like, he hit such him a throwback the, uh... to like it was such a throwback to like Real Osprey's early career. Yeah, like, both doing like the UK indie scene and like that match he had with Ricochet that really like launched him, on him onto the map. Yeah, yeah, it was great. It was it was a battle of classic gimmicks. It was a battle of like I got to dig deep and go back to my my purest distilled form because. Otherwise, we are just going to be running around in circles. Uh, this match, I'm just going to say it right out, out the gate. Easy five stars. Not even a question. Um, this match was brutal. Right from the get-go, they are hammering each other. They were playing real stiff throughout the match. Some of the chops, some of the kicks, I very visibly had to flinch at. Because they they left nothing on the table here. Yeah, I have a lot to say about this match. Um, firstly, in the... I've loved Kenny's AEW run. Yeah, um, agreed. I think it took him a, a little bit of time to get going, um, but pretty much like from Revolution onwards with the match with Hangman and the Young Bucks, yeah. I think Kenny's had such an unbelievable run, especially when you factor in all the injuries he had. And then since he returned from injury over the summer, um, the match he had with Hangman and the Dark Order... Yeah. Uh, uh, all out was awesome and then the best of seven matches they've been having with death triangle kenny has been on an absolute tear yeah and yet watching him wrestle osprey here it's like it was like a completely different level it's yeah like, this is the kenny i haven't seen since dominion when it's he like oh Ricardo. yeah that's how he's supposed to wrestle and it's not to say that like he hasn't been great in AEW because Absolutely. he's still been one of, if not the best wrestler in the world. Him and Daniel. This was just on a completely different level here. This yeah. was like the god of pro wrestling, Kenny Omega. <laughs> Straight out of like his Tokyo Dome matches with Okada, yep. Jericho and Tanahashi. Just didn't miss a beat. He was awesome. And the thing that I found really interesting with this is that like, you know, Osprey, leader of United Empire, has been one of the top heels in New Japan. 
for the last but couple he, of years. But he played and then super like baby face here. And pretty much like him and Jay White have been like the Gaijin replacements for Kenny Omega. Yep. And then if you think about like Kenny, especially in like his AEW run, is like super baby face right now. Yeah. And even when we've seen United Empire on Dynamite, they've been like really heelish. Absolutely. And the way that, like, I did not anticipate, one of the big things that took me by surprise in this match was the fact that, like, Osprey was the clear cut, like, coming from behind Babyface. Yeah. And Kenny was just this sadistic, maniacal oh. heel. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, it all goes back to the the promo that Osprey caught at the press conference. So the day, good. Uh, in the so lead up to the match. Good. And what completely flipped, well, I think completely flipped the dynamic of this match because, like, They've had this running undercurrent story pretty much since Kenny left New Japan, yeah. where he has been very dismissive of Will Ospreay. He's been burying Will Ospreay publicly. Um, and it all goes back to this match that Ospreay had with Kota Ibushi at the Tokyo Dome a few years ago, where yeah. Ospreay debuts the Hidden Blade and like legitimately <sighs> injures Kota Ibushi. And obviously, like Omega Ibushi's like relationship and their personal connection, that's basically the incited incident in Omega being so dismissive of Will Ospreay and shitting on him and burying him publicly. You know, they've even turned it into the whole thing where it's like Ospreay was saying that like Kenny was trying to not get booked on AEW and trying to get pulled from Forbidden Door. Yeah. Like this has been like a bubbling storyline pretty much for the last four years. And it's so interesting to me because it's from Omega's perspective, it's so built around like getting revenge for what Ospreay did to Kota Ibushi all those years ago. Yeah by how like gruesome and violent and how sadistic he was. And yet you watch it. Kenny does. Kenny is worse to Will here. Oh, the will ever was to Kota Ibushi. Yep. And it's like, you know, you think about it from Kenny's perspective. It's like, would Kota be proud of this or has Kenny gone too far? Like the moment where they've got like the table, like stood up on the barricade and Kenny is just like smashing Osprey's face into the through table. it through the table through the table uh it was and then he like picks Kenny it up and like, does the here's he does like the shining through the yeah it was like he he just like was consumed by like this rage and this anger and this hatred and like completely like turned into this kind of monster and it was it was both like really interesting to see how they switch roles and do this double turn yeah but it was also just like such a it wasn't the match i expected because it was just a very yeah. physical aggressive brawl more so than like technical and aerial spots right although i will say i'll give massive props to kenny he finally did the terminator dive and didn't hit his leg on the barricade yep. i was so proud for him i when noticed he, when that he stuck too. London. it was so good yeah it's it's interesting because this is closer to uh omega jericho at yeah. Wrestle Kingdom than it was like and that is... Omega Okada. And it's crazy. And it's completely how not the match. It's completely not the match I anticipated from them either. Yeah. It had it has more in common with, like you said, Omega's match with Jericho, but then Omega's original match with Moxley at that um, too. Was it full yeah. gear in 2019? Absolutely. Well, like, and... Omega can do like hardcore wrestling as, as great as anyone can i think that's a really underrated facet of his, his kind of uh, ability but it's not really the match i anticipated from osprey because osprey is like he's got you know as he's booked up to heavyweight he's got better at like the technical and power sides of wrestling yeah. but his bread and butter always has been as like the high-flying aerial guy 
Yeah. And to see a match that like pretty much for most of it took place either on the mat or outside the ring, not, you know, springboarding and off the top ropes was really, really interesting. Yeah, totally agree. And you and you can tell that he I love watching the evolution of Will Ospreay. He was he was my wrestler of the year last year. Uh, just based off of his output and you can tell the change in him not just physically because he bulked the hell up to get into oh uh, heavyweight but like you mentioned in his moveset like he is he doesn't rely on the oz cutter as good as it is to be his finisher anymore it's the story which is what i really found i really like the fact that he was going for it more in this match here yeah as he was channeling more of that kind of aerial assassin gimmick yeah exactly and it's funny because neither of us expected this, but as Owen mentioned, with this being kind of a blood feud vengeance match, maybe we should have because the storytelling dictates, oh, this is going to be like if you're a if you're a fan of WWE, it's like, oh, this is easily a hell in a cell match, like no question. Mm. And I was blown away by this every single moment, the moment where I think where uh, Kenny hits, I don't remember what the move was, in the corner, uh, Osprey tumbles out to the side and the entirety of United Empire comes to like check on him and make sure like, is he okay? Is he okay? And Don Is Callis, that when he kind of drops him off the top? Straight onto down, the exposed yeah. turnbuckle? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Vicious looking. And Don Callis, who is one of the unsung heroes in pro wrestling, uh, he's just getting up. He's like shouting and I'm like, get out of here. Get out of here. Because he's obviously Kenny's corner man. Um, can, we, can we take a moment to um, to talk about Don's outfit for this show? The drip guy, Is, Don Callis? He, mean? he was channeling like his inner Seth Rollins. It was incredible. Yes, the Don. Don always has like the best shoes in wrestling on. Yep. And this was no exception. He had like these like silver sequined loafers on. It was amazing. <laughs> and he had like... But with that and like the, 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 the flowery floral blazer and the yeah. hat, it was giving like the love child of like Seth Rollins and Happy Corbin. It was yep. amazing. It was wonderful. Don Callis is one of the best talkers in the biz. And um, obviously, again, uh, Osprey got busted open, bled a gusher, uh, got his head put through a table, got his back put through a table, or I guess oh. more accurately, the table got put through him. Um, and then the spot the where the spot where Kenny where Kenny kind of like um, bumps onto the back and like hits the leg yeah, of the table on his the head, back of his head, oh, nasty. Oof. But these two beat the ever loving hell out of each other, and then we got the finish that I was not prepared for. I thought I was about this... to ask, did you did you think Kenny was going to win? I thought for sure that this was going to be osprey's crowning moment because like you mentioned the entirety of their feud both in and out of or off screen and on on screen has been kenny dismissing uh will and when osprey shows up on aew you can go on uh youtube right now and just listen to the promo that kenny cuts on osprey in the ring when him and aussie open show up it's all of just like hey kid like we're shooting you're not, you know, you're not, you're too big for your britches. You're not the draw you think you are. It's this, I need to prove myself to you. And I thought this was going to be the stage that he did it on. But then Kenny here's, here's wins. Here's the thing with that, though. 
here's the thing with that and why I think I was surprised because I thought like I didn't facilitate Kenny sticking around and doing New Japan stuff regularly. Yeah. So I was surprised that they put the title on him. But in terms of the story with him and Osprey, I think it makes perfect sense for Kenny to win. Because if you think if you go back to Omega Ricardo 1, uh, Wrestle Kingdom 11, it's kind of a very similar dynamic, personal yeah. kind of rivalry aside. Absolutely. Where like Okada is like the established star and Kenny is like the young, hungry, new kind of main heel on the block. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't get that crowning moment. It takes Omega three or four tries to really definitively beat Okada. And yeah. it's eventually doing that. And Kenny gets like, as he gets closer and closer to beating him in each match, he gets more and more over and really breaks through. Is not just being like a top guy, but being a megastar. Yeah. And then finally, when he beat Okada in that two out of three falls match, Omega is like a made man on the same level as Okada. I think it's a very similar thing they're doing here where it's like, I know Osprey has already been IWGP world champion. And like I said, he was your wrestler of last year. It's not like he's just like some mid-card guy. But this, for me, was like the... And I, I'm like that I've been following Will Osprey since like 2016 on the British yeah. Indies. Like, it's not someone like I'm like not familiar with. But to me, this was a star-making performance for him in a way that like... I saw him in a light I'd never seen him in. Um, yeah. And I've seen like a lot of Will Ospreay matches. <laughs> I followed his career for like the best part of a decade. And this is like the most I've ever been like, no, he is like a future, like not just world champion, but like ace of this company. And I think that like having Kenny, you don't give him that straight away. Kenny wins here. You build and build and build. They'll probably have a rematch at Dominion. They'll probably wrestle at Forbidden Door. And then by the end of it, when Ospreay does finally beat him and, and take back the US title, that'll be like him cemented on like a whole new level. So it's, just, it's interesting that you say that because, and I think we can absolutely hearken back to our conversation earlier where Osprey feels like he's on that cusp, just like AJ was before mm. he really, I mean, and the, they had very similar styles, obviously. I was going to say, the, that's a really good comparison of the two. Like the two of them building and, alongside that with osprey because i i kind of disagree i don't think he's going to win the title back from kenny personally because i think he's on a different trajectory right now i personally i think the biggest match you could do for Door 2 is omega okada again i think See, if both i, of them I are disagree healthy, because i think i think because it's been four years of omega trash talking and burying osprey oh for sure you then can't have omega win the feud Osprey then has to be, Osprey has to prove him wrong. Otherwise, I I think they'll definitely have a rematch. I don't think it'll be for the United States Championship, or at least I don't think he's gonna. Maybe not, him. but I think the like the the end point of this story is Osprey beating Omega like, absolutely cleanly and definitively. Totally agree. But they are also they're telling another story with Osprey at the same time, purely in New Japan, where Osprey can't beat Okada. They have had mm. several matches. Osprey has only beaten him once and he did it by cheating and it bothers him and he's cut promos. He's talked think... about it. And I think that but, they're this building is, this to is the genius, ne- but I think they're building to next, next wrestle kingdom. Osprey's going to beat Okada. Okay. So let's, title. let's take that. So that's 12 months time. I think that only accentuates the need for him and Omega to keep feuding because what is like Omega's big claim to fame? He's the guy that won a two out of three falls match with Okada. Yeah. So in order for, in order for Osprey to really get to that point where he can beat Okada at the Tokyo Dome, he has to defeat Okada's greatest rival. 
See, he I was going to say it was the other order, way around. In order to get to that point where he can beat Okada, he has to be able to beat Omega because Omega's like the only guy on Okada's level. That's fair. That's I think fair. like you have Osprey beat um, Okada, Omega at Forbidden Door, then have Osprey win the G1. Like that is like him, his trajectory oh, yeah. of being like Definitely a made man. Yeah, I the the way that I kind of saw it is that he would beat he would obviously win G one, beat Okada at the Tokyo Dome, and then for Forbidden Door of twenty twenty, I guess that'd be twenty twenty four. We would have yeah. the two of them, and then he would definitively beat Kenny there. But it makes sense. I think either way, you're you're we're in for some really fucking good matches going Absolutely. forward for that. And this was another thing incredible. Another thing I want to say was uh, Kenny's kind of finishing sequence. Yes. Not only hitting the one-winged angel, but right before he did it, hitting the Kamagoye, oh. which is obviously Abushi's finisher. Yeah. Um, was such a nice, nice touch. And obviously, like, the status of Code for Ibushi is so bizarre right now in New Japan. So nebulous, yeah. Like, the whole thing, like, like that kicked off last year about the, the tweets he made and the accusations and then yeah. him, like, being off TV, like, we don't really know what on earth is going on. And like Abushi's a strange guy at the best of times. Yes. I think about you remember that interview with him and Tanahashi where he talks about how he how he's awake for 25 hours you a told, day. You, I think, introduced me to that and you sent me the link to that. It is a bizarre I, I, interview. I think about that once a day. And <laughs> like no exaggeration. And that mixed with Tanahashi's reaction sums Kota Abushi up yep. perfectly. And so it's like, I don't know when Ibushi will be back, but I think however this storyline with Omega and Osprey ends, he has to be a part of it. Yes. Not only for Kenny's arc, especially if like Kenny gets more and more heelish and violent in these matches with Will, and it's Ibushi that makes him realize he's gone off the deep end. But then also for like Osprey's big face turn, which I assume is kind of like the point of this. Yeah. Having that kind of reconciliation and like forgiveness with Osprey for what happens. Because it was like, yeah, Osprey hit the hidden blade and like, like almost killed Bushi, but it wasn't intentional. Right. It was a, it was more similar to like the Hangman Moxley thing on AEW, yes. where it's Great like, point. you know, what happens in the ring, people get hurt. You you know what you sign up for. Whereas with Kenny and Osprey, it very much felt like Kenny. It wasn't like he was just working stiff and Osprey might get hurt. He was trying to kill him. Yeah. So I think, however, this feud kind of wraps up, whether it's in kind of the next year or two. Hopefully, by that point, Abushi is either kind of back in New Japan or is with AEW and can play a part in its kind of climax. I mean, hell, that, that'd be a great Forbidden Door co-main event. Just well, that's what I was trying to work. Well, uh, yeah, let's do... Oh, I was going to say, let's do Golden Lovers versus Osprey and Okada. Ooh, that would be incredible. You want to see a 10-star match? <laughs> and it wouldn't even have to be in the Tokyo Dome. But speaking of Okada, um, do, you, do you have any final thoughts or anything else you want to talk about with uh, Osprey Omega? No, this match was amazing. This was this was absolutely awesome. It was Kenny back at his best. It's the best Will Osprey I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And what was amazing is like for how incredible this match was, it still felt like there's so much left to do in the ring with these guys, yeah. both in terms of like the match they could have and also the story that they're telling. It makes 100%. me really excited to see like where this story is going to go and when they next wrestle, how it's going to progress and build off this because so good. Yeah. Can't wait. 
Uh, your co-main event was the championship match for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, the champion Jay White versus Kazuchika Okada. Um, I have always been a big Jay White fan. From the moment he re-debuted as the Switchblade all the way through today. Um, the long-term storytelling of Jay White and Okada. The fact that Jay White is another guy who has measured himself up against Okada on numerous occasions, has been beaten by Okada, has beaten Okada. He is a guy who is one of the most perfect. It's like him and MJF just know how to be heels in this business, and they are so perfect at it. Um, and of course, that being put up against Okada, who is the ace of that company, coming out with the Inoki tribute with the robe and the towel. I loved seeing that. Um, this match was obviously, it was incredible. Jay White and Okada are fantastic. However, we already mentioned, and you can tell by how much we were gushing about it, that Osprey and Omega was the match of the night, and this had some very difficult shoes to fill. I have. Do you want to hear what I've got written down on that Please. point? Uh, I've just got written down here, WrestleMania 18, Triple H and Chris Jericho. Oof, isn't it just? Yeah, isn't it just? Um, like, going on after Rock and Hogan. This or, is very much the vibe this match gave me. Or WrestleMania 25, Triple H and Randy Orton having to go on after Tri- HBK H- and Taker. Triple H is unlucky. He absolutely um, is, man. No, it's like, uh, let me run through the notes I've got for this match. Go for uh, first thing, uh, Okada has the greatest theme in all of wrestling. However, Jay White has the greatest beard in all of wrestling. He sure does. Um, which I stand by. Um, no tables, no blood, no gimmicks, just pure wrestling. Yep. Um, but the interesting thing about this match and the thing I really wanted to talk about and what I, well, I do think it was kind of overshadowed by the semi-main with Osprey and Omega, naturally yep. so. Uh, and ironically, it's not the first time this has happened to Okada, yep. thinking back to the Omega-Jericho match at 12. Absolutely. Um, what I really, really enjoyed about this match is it was so much, not only is it based around the long-term story between Jay White and, and Okada and Gado and how he factors yeah. into all of that, but also built around like these two men are battling to carry the torch of Antonio Inoki. Yep. And it's like the future of New Japan will be dictated by whoever wins this match. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought White, obviously, like I like I felt like it was a pretty sure thing that Okada was gonna win, especially yeah. once it became all built, the story became built around Inoki. And I think for for Anoki, who built like his career as like the the like the hometown native Japanese hero, mm-hmm. going up against all of these kind of gaijin monsters and like invading threats, the fact that he won it off Jay White, who is like the top gaijin in the company, made so much sense. Yeah, I love all of the kind of um, tributes to Anoki in the match. I love that Okada hit like a pretty picture perfect looking Inzaguri. It was great uh, in his finishing sequence. But I thought the way they weaved in a lot of kind of references and nods and tributes to Anoki, both in terms of like spots and moves in the match, but also in like gear and themes and like what's what's at stake here. Yeah. Like it wasn't just the 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 ugly title on the line. It was yeah. like God. the legacy, not only the legacy of Antonio Anoki, but the future of New Japan. Yeah, 
absolutely like that built on top of all of like the years-long rivalry between omega and white dating back to like when white first joined chaos like five years ago yep loved it yeah and and i thought it was very cool you know you get into the actual match itself jay white and the all-white hero gear and okada and the all-black villain gear yeah i did think that was really interesting to see like that switch yeah and so it's it's fascinating to me i mean again jay white is one of the best characters in pro wrestling okada is one of the best wrestlers in i think the history of that company and the two of them putting on a classic was expected i think no Um, no one does like the best no one does last 10 minutes of a match like okada so true He's also got the best like, dropkick in the builder in the business. Oh, absolutely. But it's like it, it's very Bret Hart-esque in that way, where it's like yeah. his matches don't start explosive. Okada matches start very slow and a bit boring. And they build and build and build and build very slowly. They kind of simmer over and then they explode into like this incredible 10-minute sequence. Yeah. Um at the end. And like no one does like last third act of a match quite like Okada. And that was something that made those Omega matches sing so well because Omega was forced to stick to that format and storytelling wise. He had, he had to he had to beat Okada in Okada's own style and way. Yeah. And that was what made that that chase and that climb so fun to watch. Um the interesting for me thing for me wasn't just like the match itself, but the stuff that came out of the match. Obviously, Okada is the guy there. It's the Okada wins LOL of it all. I would, I, if you watched this and you were disappointed or like, you know, oh my God, I'm getting Okada burnout, I totally understand. This is, yeah, I agree. But also, like, in the context of this being like a battle for the heart and soul of New Japan, it makes sense. In like, in memory of Antonio Inoki, the company's kind of founder and like, flag bearer for five decades like of yeah. course okada was gonna win as yeah. soon as he came out in the anoki robe and the towel it was like yeah. never in doubt no not even for a second but i do i do think that okada is gonna need something in 2023 to really like ramp that up again because he's a bigger he's chin chin implant <laughs> he's, he needs he's, the anoki he's chin been, oh god I don't, I don't think the world could handle another anoki chin because because like I would say the one lacking feature of Okada is he's pretty chinless. He is. He is indeed. Like he's not like James Ellsworth territory of chinless, no, but he's not near. like his jawline is not kind of up to scratch. So if he can like Anoki yeah. that chin up, get that bad boy shot, I think he'll uh, <laughs> that should that, that's maybe the, he should bring that's back the character the long revamp pants. he needs. No like character we... revamp. He needs to go back to like Remember when he remember when after Dominion when he kind of just lost it and started like coming out with the balloons? He carried the balloons. And what he had, an like, interesting the time remix, that was. And he did the crossbody off the top and was like Scooby Dooby Doo. What an interesting time. It's my favorite. It's that my was. favorite Okada. But uh I I thought this was really interesting after the match because Jay, we've now established that when it comes to, you know, the heart of NJPW the business the championship jay just cannot beat okada it's just he's just the not facts. at that level yeah 
And I don't know if, unlike Osprey, who still has room to grow, that Jay has that. I don't know if he's reached his ceiling yet. I think that the fact that like White's story is that like he's hit that ceiling that he can't get past. Yeah. Makes the notion of Osprey then beating Okada next year at Wrestle Kingdom really interesting in regards to kind of their personal rivalry on being the heir apparent to Omega in the top cat uh, top Gaijin. Absolutely. If uh, if Osprey can then go on and do what Jay White couldn't, yeah, and assert himself as like the number two guy in that company, what does that then mean for Jay White? Do you think that I think that's a really a, really interesting question. Do you think that could lead to an all Gaijin G one final Osprey versus White? Potentially, yeah. I just, I just think that's a really not only what it'd mean for Osprey's story, but what it would mean what Osprey winning the title at the Tokyo Dome, beating Gokada, yeah. would mean for Jay White, who's had so many opportunities to do it now and has never been able to. That's a fair point. I will mention like he's though... not especially as like the as the leader of, of Bullet Club as well, kind of being that heir apparent to Omega. Yeah. Like straight off the get, you know, Omega within like what Omega Omega loses to Tanahashi and then straight away Tanahashi drops the title to White. Yep. Like as soon as Kenny was out the door, New Japan were like, Jay White's the new Omega. Yeah. And then for that experiment to end like four or five years later with White unable to live up to that and Osprey having just beaten Omega finally and then going on to beat Okada yeah. and cementing himself as that new guy in that position. What does then that do to Jay White's character? Who's already like, emotionally hanging on by a thread at oh, any given time isn't he just he's already like an incredibly deranged character yeah he's like he's what would best. how would that affect how would osprey's like climbing the mountain affect uh jay white psychologically is a really fascinating question well and obviously we don't know you know what the plans are for jay going forward and especially because you you haven't watched new year's dash yet um, I, I've heard about the, the match they've set up with White and Hikaleo. Yes, where Jay is basically, he's going to have a match with Hikaleo, I think, in February. And whoever loses, they leave Japan. I don't know if that's setting up for Jay to leave. Because he's been, like you mentioned, hanging on by a thread for a couple years now. And there have already been rumors many times before of, is Jay going to leave for WWE? Is he going to go here? Is he going to go there? Uh, because he's not anymore he's not he's not going back there now no definitely not uh, but i think it it's going to be interesting to see what kind of year he has going forward and what year the bullet club has going forward because if jay leaves like it's, what does that mean for the bullet club the bullet club's in a really weird situation right now where it's like it's kind of not that this is probably the least prominent bullet club has been in new japan yeah since it was founded Absolutely. especially now that like none of the Especially now that like Tamatonga's out, like it's barely reminiscent of the original faction. Right. And like if you lose Jay White, who kind of has that connection to Omega and to like the elite and like that era of Bullet Club, what then what then becomes of that faction? Because then it's, it's just it's like just folly. Just bad luck folly. But then it <laughs> but then it gets to an interesting territory where like maybe the top two guys in Bullet Club are like Kenta and Evil. Who are both Japanese. Yeah, that's fair. Which is a massive switch of what Bullet Club was built on, which right. is being a group of gaijins who don't respect the traditions of New Japan and Japanese culture. Yeah. That would be interesting. Because, I mean, Kenta needs more to do. 
because so then I'm thinking like, and I don't think this is what they should do because I think Osprey is doing fine with United Empire. But in order to like really usurp White, does you do you then have club. Osprey take over Bullet Club? I mean, if you want to combine Bullet Club to be... and United Empire, get him. That's back, what that's like what I mean. Do like the two factions army. maybe come together and like? Does he kind of like on his road to beating after beating Omega and on his road to like beating Okada at the Tokyo Dome? Does Osprey then? take kind of bullet club from under white and really like drive that home that he is kind of he's everything that jay white is and more the only reason that i wouldn't like that i think is because they've established that leaders of the bullet club can't beat okada when it matters because remember when kenny had to when kenny beat okada for the title he basically abandoned bullet club to do so but not even that it's like even going back further going back to prince devitt yeah, he left the Bullet Club disgrace because he couldn't beat Tanahashi, right, for the title. That was Devitt's whole, and it's interesting how Devitt and Tanahashi mirrors Okada and Omega so much. Yeah, but like, it's true. With all of the help in the world, with all the cheating, with all the smoke and mirrors and the body paint and the gimmicks and all the interference, Devitt just could not beat Tanahashi for the world title. Yeah, he just wasn't at that level, and it's funny because like. More so than not only does that mirror Okada Omega, or after it takes Omega leaving Bullet Club in order to be able to do it, kind of like uh, going through that kind of metamorphosis and like spiritual rebirth, but then it mirrors Jay White's inability to beat Okada as well. And it's funny because, like, while they wrestle so differently, Jay White reminds me so much of Prince Devitt. Yeah, they're he really is like their gimmick just in terms of his just in terms of his character. Yeah. And how he presents himself and how he trash talks. He, he really is like a, a love child between like Omega and Devitt. But he's like, he's like, he's there's a bit of AJ there. He's like all of the Bullet Club leaders kind of rolled into one. That's why he's one and of the best I'm leaders not, of the Bullet Club. Notice I'm not including Carl Anderson as a Bullet Club leader. He was never a Bullet Club leader. He was, he actually technically was. No, not, no, no. He was. He was the he mouthpiece. He's the mouthpiece. He he was officially recognized as the leader of Bullet Club for a time. I don't know. Either way, I think the 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 future of the main event scene in New Japan is pretty bright. We've got a lot of people. It sure that are is there, Master Watto. But <laughs> God damn it, a lot of people on the come up like your Master Watto's, like your Shota Umino's um tatsumi fujinami still knocking about hitting gonna... <laughs> dragon screws <laughs> that's gonna Ricardo's be Ricardo's gonna have to bring the long pants just to neutralize that dragon screw that's gonna be your g1 final it's gonna be shota umino versus uh fujinami and with master wato just missing out on the g1 oh. final it's gonna be heartbreaking but he can't he can't beat the t- he can't beat the dragon screws he just can't that's gonna be his year long is strengthening his legs but uh, yeah, the the show ends with uh, Okada getting challenged by uh, Shingo Takagi, which is going to be a great, great match. Uh, Shingo's another guy on the come up who's, I mean, he's won the world title, but he doesn't feel like as big a deal as yeah. Like, obviously, he lost others. to he lost to Omega uh, to Okada for the title last year at the Tokyo Dome. Yep. So they've got unfinished business. Uh, interestingly, it was only when I was putting these notes again I was talking about Shingo coming out that. When Okada beat Shingo last year for the world title, that was the first time Okada has won a Tokyo Dome main event as the challenger. 
That's a good point. Because anytime he tried to face Tanahashi as a challenger, he, he lost. Yeah. yeah, that is excellent. An excellent yeah. point. When when he beat White, when he brought back the trunks, yeah, he lost. Yep. So it was only so this is only his second uh, the second time he's actually won the bell as That's the challenger in the main event. Um, so him and Shingo obviously have unfinished business. They have great matches together. Yeah. So I'm intrigued to see how that goes. But I'm more intrigued to see where Jay White goes from here. Totally more agree. Than anything probably probably shows up in Impact again. <laughs> J- yeah, Jay White and with, uh... he goes and hangs out with Chris Bay. Oh geez. Hey, they're good together. They're a good team. Uh, they are. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to me. And we kept we keep mentioning we kept mentioning throughout this episode long term storytelling. That's something that New Japan does better than anybody planting those seeds, giving them time to breathe, sometimes to the detriment of their wrestlers. Naito, I think, really missed the boat. Unfortunately, they should have put the belt on him when he was red hot. Now he's kind of lost his luster. But overall, I think the show was really good. I think it was, I mean, again, one of those shows that you can show to people who aren't as familiar with New Japan as maybe they are with other companies and they will be able to get into it. The storytelling was great. Yeah. The matches and the work rate was really good. But again, for me, the match that stole the show was Osprey Omega. It was incredible. I will probably go back and rewatch that once we're finished recording here. Uh, it was just that good. It was just a phenomenal, phenomenal match. And I really do, I really do think that this is going to be Osprey's year again, two years in a row. Uh, if this, if the, he kicks off the year, if he ends the year as strong as he be, began it, we're going to be in for some really, really good uh, Will Ospreay content. Any final thoughts on the show? Uh, do you, obviously, do you have a, a match of the night that doesn't involve Master Watto? <laughs> uh, yeah, so, like I said, you know, New Japan have had a really difficult couple of years with, uh, with the pandemic and with COVID and also, like, that coupling with them losing the elite. Yeah. Uh, you know, Naito got the belt and then straight away they went into lockdown. So his run, like once they finally put the title on him, it, it completely just derailed. And then when they came back, they made the choice to do the big push with evil, which didn't really work. So it really took new Japan, like a bit of time to really find the footing again. Right. And it felt like, and for someone that's kind of not been watching New Japan as regularly as I had pre-pandemic, mostly now because of kind of uh, AEW really starting up and taking a lot of that time away. And, you know, I enjoy a lot more impact now than I did then. Like, there's a lot more wrestling fighting for my attention. Um, so I, I haven't been keeping up with New Japan as much as I had kind of uh, three or four years ago. Yeah. This very much felt like a return to the New Japan that I kind of really fell in love with. Yeah. Um, from Wrestle Kingdom 10 to like 14. Um, it was such a return to form. Great matches, great storytelling, great characters. Um, I, there's not a whole lot of negatives to say for the show other than like some matches should have got more time, mainly the women's. Why did Carl Anderson get twice as long as Kyrie <laughs> and Dan Nakano? Um, but yeah, this was a really fun show. If you are someone that's followed New Japan and followed these characters for years and years and years, you'll get a lot out of it. If you're someone that is kind of maybe came back into wrestling through AEW, you'll not only get to see so many AEW guys and AEW adjacent guys here, you'll get to see a very different side of them and learn other facets of their characters and their history. 
And then like, if you're a completely casual wrestling fan, if you're like, I don't know, a Sasha Banks stan <laughs> who is watching the show, who is like, I only watch WWE and is watching this show because of the Mercedes Monet stuff. Like, I think you will still really enjoy the show. Yeah. Like there's a lot to enjoy. There's a lot to get into great matches, great moments, great memories. Um, yeah. A lot, a lot of fun. Uh, Zack Sabre Jr. calling Rishi Sunak a dickhead was easily the best part of the show. Uh, and Zach, if you're listening, we love you. Please be the Prime Minister. Prime Minister Zack Sabre Jr. has a great, great ring to it. Um, but yeah, that is our review of Wrestle Kingdom 17. Thank you for uh, joining us for this uh, this different, different kind of episode for the podcast. Owen... It's always wonderful having you on the show, man. Uh, I'm excited every single time I get to chat with you about literally anything. Um, if the listeners want to follow up with you and your amazing Ultimate Universe content uh, on YouTube, uh, how can they? Uh, how can they follow you? I feel like if if you're listening to this and you're not already like familiar with me, you're going to be really disappointed when you realize <laughs> this is probably the most you'll ever get to hear me talk about wrestling. <laughs> Um, I talk about comic books on the internet. Um, so what? I hope you like those too. I'd assume you would if you were listening to the, the wonderful Geeks Blame podcast. Uh, make sure to give it five stars, by the way. Um, but yes, if you enjoyed listening to me ramble about Japanese wrestling, you would also love hearing me ramble about American comic books too. Uh, head on over to youtube.com slash Owen Likes Comics. At the time of recording, I have just released uh, my first video of the year, um, which is a 30-minute deep dive into the first 13 issues of Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley's Ultimate Spider-Man. It is a comic very near and dear to my heart. It is the first book that I really fell in love with. And I decided to make a big video, not only talking about why it's so great and historically significant, but why I love it so much and how it kind of uh, helped me become the person I am today. So head on over, check that out. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Owen Likes Comics as well until that site inexplicably explodes one day. I, I think it's, it's, it's on a timer. We just don't know when the timer goes to zero. But uh, yeah, Owen's, I mean, you've heard me gush about Owen's videos on the podcast before, and I'll continue to do it. Uh, he, he brings such a unique and, and personal take to everything that he covers talking about stuff that I know about stuff that I don't know about. I always come away from every video that he does learning something new. Uh, his recent video on ultimate Spider-Man is one of my favorites from the personal perspective that he gives to it. And you need to do yourself a favor and go watch it right now. But, and then once you're done, you should listen to all the episodes of the Geek's Blame book club that I wasn't invited to, to learn even more about all the other volumes of ultimate Spider-Man. And that's actually all we have time for. Good night. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comicsology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geeks Plane Pick of the Week of last week. And y'all, I am as surprised as anyone to say that last week's pick was Dark Knights of Steel number nine, written by Tom Taylor, art by Yasmin Putri. This series, just when I think I have a handle on it, just absolutely takes the rug out from under me. Uh, I love it. 
I love, I've really enjoyed this series. I gave volume one to a dear friend of mine for Christmas just because I enjoy it so much. But I thought I knew what was happening. And then this issue came out last week and I questioned everything else I knew. I have to go back and reread all those previous issues. Uh, I had a real, I had a really great time with it, if you can tell. Uh, lots of great comics came out last month, but or last week. But uh, this is the one that really knocked my socks off. So that's my pick. But... That's last week. This week, we've got nine books for you to check out, so let's go ahead and kick this list off with a double header of Dark Web Shenanigans. First off, Dark Web, Mary Jane, and Black Cat number two. This is written by Jed McKay with art by Vincenzo Karatu. I uh, still am not sure what to make of this. Uh, they did a big old reveal for Mary Jane in the last issue, and I'm still trying to kind of wrap my head around it. Um, it's interesting. It's an interesting choice for her. Uh, I hope we get maybe some more answers, but we'll see. I But I love Black Hat and Mary Jane together, so I'm enjoying it. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Mary Jane Watson and Felicia Hardy are trapped in limbo and at the mercy of Belasco the Swordsman. As if that wasn't bad enough, they're also keeping secrets from one another. Somehow, MJ's got powers and there's a new old man in Felicia's life. And if they don't come clean with one another, they could be stuck in limbo forever. And on the other side of Limbo, we've got The Amazing Spider-Man, number 17. This is also written by uh, Zeb Wells with art by Ed McGinnis. And this is continuing on, of course, the uh, the dark web shenanigans where last issue we saw that Peter is also stranded in Limbo. So he might cra- cross paths with uh, with his darling heroines. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Round one is over. Peter Parker finds himself trapped in limbo. Peter not only has to find his way back home, but he has to do it in a truly hellish fashion. And who is shadowing him? That's interesting. Uh, I'm not... I don't know what the end goal for Dark Web is supposed to be for Peter, but I am very excited to find out. Next up, we have Danger Street, number two. This is written by Tom King with art by Jorge Fornes. And I really dug issue number one. Uh, I was incredibly surprised at the twists and turns that first issue had. Um, I I have no expectations for this. I don't know exactly what they're trying to tell. I know it's supposed to be like a, a gritty crime drama. But in the DC universe and taking out, you know, a lot of the heavy hitters that you'd expect to be in there. It's very, I mean, the sky's the limit, honestly, to see where they could go. But let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Chapter two, the green team. After their attempt to join the Justice League goes horrendously wrong, Warlord and Starman are on the run from the law and the forces of the fourth world. In their wake, they have left behind both the murder and the ongoing mystery of Atlas the Great and his connection to the cosmic powers of the DC Universe. But don't fret, Lady Cop is on the case, and she won't rest until it's solved. But little does she know, a malevolent corporation has a connection to it all, and they're willing to kill to keep their secrets safe. After all, nobody messes with the green team. 
yeah, I really enjoy this concept of taking like Z-list DC characters and making them the focal point of a big prestige uh, maxi series. So I'm very excited to pick this next issue up. And it's not the last time you'll see Tom King this week. Uh, next up, we have X-Men number 18. This is written by Jerry Duggan with art by Carlos Villa. And uh, this continues on past Dark Web. We're done with the Dark Web uh, tie-ins as far as I understand. So uh, this one looks to be very sync-focused if the cover is anything to go by. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Getting into sync. Sync has a lot to sort out. His life has been derailed, his powers have grown, and he's experienced a loss that no one understands. The universe has had its way with him. Now, it's his turn. So, I'm interested to see what his status quo is following the events of the previous X-Men arc. Um, it's... It, I don't know! I don't know exactly! Um, but, like I said, the, the cover is hopefully going to be indicative of what we're going to see in this, for sure. Next up, we have a brand new number one. This is Lazarus Planet Alpha number one. This is kicking off the big Lazarus Planet uh, event, and this is written by Mark Wade and Jean Lun Yang, two of my favorite writers, so you know I'm going to be picking this up. Uh, this also has art by Billy Tan and Ricardo Federici. Uh, this, is, this is what we're going to be figuring out next. Like, this is going to give us the next big push towards where the DC Universe is going in 2023. I don't know exactly what the plan is but we're just gonna have to find out so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis change the world following the explosive literally events of batman versus robin number four the lazarus volcano has erupted spewing dangerous and transformative chemicals into earth's atmosphere are these lazarus clouds as these lazarus clouds rain down upon the planet people across the globe begin to develop strange new abilities watch their already extraordinary abilities change and witness a whole host of chaos unlike anything the dcu has experienced before it's up to damian wayne to put out the distress call for whoever can still hear it come to the runes of the hall of justice and help save the world poison ivy power girl cyborg batman and more answer the call but why could the fate of all life as we know it rest in the hands of monkey prince so yeah on the cover we've got robin batman power girl poison ivy uh cyborg and monkey prince and i'm very excited to see monkey prince get more of a spotlight here this should be really really fun cannot wait to pick this up next up we have captain america symbol of truth number nine this is written by tochion yubuchi with art by rb silva this is continuing on the pax mohanda arc of the sam wilson captain america book i really i just i love having him and ian back i love having cap and nomad back together it makes my heart sing i really 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 do's enjoys it so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis pax mohanda Part 4. Captain America's understanding of his conflict with the White Wolf is flipped upside down when White Wolf unleashes an army from Nomad's past onto Mohanda's civilians. Sam Wilson's first priority is now stopping the onslaught from Dimension Z before it's too late, but at what cost to his allies? I also like the the really murky morality that this series is uh, is presenting with the Steve book 
as amazing as it is, everything is very much like a more or less like good versus evil, black and white, with the exception of probably, you know, like Bucky and all that stuff. But this very deftly handles all the politics that Captain America has to deal with alongside the more super heroic dangers that they have to deal with. So I've been really enjoying both Captain America books and I can't wait to pick this up. Next up we have a big one. It is The Flash, number 790. This is the first part of One Minute War and you are going to want to pick this one up for reasons. Um, this is written by Jeremy Adams with art by Roger Cruz, and I am very excited to pick this up. Uh, as you heard last week, The Flash was one of our top 10 books of the year in 2022, and there are, uh, there are big things coming for 2023, so I can't wait to read this. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. The One Minute War, Part 1, Zero Point. As any super speedster worth their salt will tell you, time can move pretty slow for the incredibly fast. So what happens when an entire armada of conquering speedster aliens shows up on Earth's doorstep? The most intense battle the Earth has ever waged in the span of 60 seconds begins. Yeah, I love this concept. I love the idea of a 60-second war um, and having Wally, Bart, and my boy Jay Garrick right there smack dab on the cover. Uh, I can't wait to pick this up. This is going to be a great one. Next up, we have Daredevil, number seven. This is written by Chip Zdarsky with art, of course, by uh, Marco Cicchetto and Rafael De La Torre. Uh, this red fist... Uh, arc continues as the armies are amassing for a daredevil versus punisher war this is oh i love this i really really dig this i can't wait to pick this up let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis the red fist saga part seven betrayal as Daredevil, both Elektra and Matt Murdock have made a home for supervillains at the new stronghold of the Fist. But not everyone they've welcomed shares their vision for how things should be done. In this issue, that's going to cost them, and put them on a collision course with the rest of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, this is... The best compliment I can give for this is that this is what Shadowland wishes it was. Matt Murdock has amassed himself a following, an army, and is on a collision course with the rest of the Marvel Universe, both on the heroic and villainous side. Uh, I, I love this. I'm really excited for this. Can't wait to pick this up. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up, is The Human Target number. 10. This is written by Tom King with art by Greg Smallwood, of course, and you know how much I love the human target. I love this book. It's been incredible from the very first page of the very first issue, and I absolutely can't wait to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Chapter 10, Then Kill. The gorgeous, Eisner-nominated series continues. With only 48 hours left to unmask his murderer before he drops dead, the pieces are finally falling into place for Christopher Chance. But before he can solve his own killing, he must deal with the consequences of Guy Gardner's. Enter Gnort and the Green Lantern Corps. 
So the uh, the chickens are coming to roost for old uh, human target here. Uh, Christopher Chance has had quite a run in the last nine issues, and issue ten promises to uh, to start bringing in some consequences for his actions. So I'm very excited to pick this up. Cannot wait to get to my LCS this week. But that is going to do it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we've got Mary Jane and Black Cat number two, The Amazing Spider-Man number 17, Danger Street number two, X-Men number 18, Lazarus Planet Alpha number one, Captain America Symbol of Truth number nine, The Flash number 790, Daredevil number seven, and The Human Target number 10. 2023 has been a great week from comics, and we are only two weeks in. I cannot wait to see where the comics take us this year. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and subscriptions really do help me and the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space, raises up our stock, and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, I will review, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write literally whatever you want, and I will be forced to read it. As long as you give me those five stars, I mean, the sky's the limit on what you can write. And you'll be able to join the likes of our Red 13, including Seafire ND, Joshua Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, A-Lock and AZ, Sass, and Jedi Jesse 20 want to say a huge thank you to these fine folks for their reviews and i cannot wait to hear yours if you want to be part of our geeksplain mailbag send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com and put mailbag in the subject header and i will read it here on the wednesday show if you'd like to follow us keep up to date on the podcast participate in polls that decide future episodes or maybe you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news you can follow us on instagram and twitter for as long as it's around at geeksplained pod that's at geeksplained P-O-D. Give us a follow. It's a fun time. And finally, every single Friday, including this Friday, I, alongside my amazing friends, put on the Geeksplained Book Club. Join me, Malcolm, and Jacob this week as we are continuing the home stretch, the final chapters of Brian Michael Bendis's Ultimate Spider-Man. This week... In the penultimate episode of the Bendis Spider-Man saga, we have Spider-Man 2, the five-issue miniseries that is supposed to answer the lingering questions from Spider-Man 1. Does it do so? Well, you'll just have to tune in this Friday and find out. Spidey Fridays are a real thing, so be there or be square, not a circle. I want to say a huge thank you once again to Owen for joining me on the podcast to talk wrestling and wrestle kingdom uh, it's always good having owen on the show and as i said earlier in the episode his youtube channel is one of the best in not just comic dude but all of youtube so go subscribe to his channel watch his uh watch his videos speaking of our book club he just dropped as we mentioned a ultimate spider-man video that was an incredibly personal thing to him so go there show him some love owen is a wonderful guy all around 
But that is going to do it for this week's episode. Next week, uh, you heard me mention it a little bit in the comics countdown, but I am very excited because next week we have another creator interview. This time, we are going to be interviewing Jeremy Adams, the writer of The Flash. We're going to be talking all things Flash, maybe even a little pro wrestling, and diving into what to expect for one minute so tune in for that next week same geek time same geek channel but for now for the geek explained podcast i've been eric azana thank you so much for listening everybody stay safe and we will see you next time 